He's a writer, director, film historian, Frank Hennenlauter. He was born August 29th, 1950, in New York. And he got his film education from Grindhouse Films that he would go to on the now famous 42nd Street. His films are recognizable by their odd stories, offbeat humor, outrageous characters, and often gory, yet always outrageous, special effects. Against the dark and dirty New York backdrop of the 1980s. So sit back in your favorite picnic basket as we discuss the films of Frank Henenlotter on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Hello, Brian. And welcome to another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I am your host, Insane Mike. And I know you're asking yourselves, what's in the basket? Well, on this episode, we plan on answering that question as we will be talking about the films of Frank Henenlotter. Now, if you're new to our show, Attack of the Killer Podcast is a horror movie podcast where a group of friends get together, talk about our common interest, which is horror films. Uh, we pick a topic, we discuss films that fall within that topic, and we talk just like friends get together and talk about movies and stuff. So we speak openly and freely, so there may be spoilers. Just warning you. Oh, hey! What? I got news for y'all. What's that? Our site, the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, has... Two new shows added to our family. That's right, we got two more shows on the network. So now I want to take this opportunity to welcome Geeking Poetic Podcast and Late Night Psychorama to our ever-growing network. Um, first off, uh, Late Night Psychorama is a horror movie podcast where three friends talk about... Um, <clears throat> Usually, two they usually talk about two films kind of from the drive in era, and I like it because they talk a lot about Italian 70s and 80s flicks. Man, it's a old lot stuff, of Italian yeah. films, yeah. Now, Geek Poetic Podcast is a show about everything geek related. The hosts are you know pretty fun, they're funny, they have a girl, and um, <laughs> you could check out both those shows on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. Uh, I I um, just got done listening to, I think it was like a three hour, I think, two or three hour Kevin Smith episode. Oh, yeah. Of the uh, Geeking Poetic. Geek Poetic podcast. And it was really cool. They all went through their like top ten favorite, top, well, it was top five, I think, yep. favorite Kevin Smith films. So, And it was pretty cool because, like, you know, these guys are definitely fans. So it was neat. Hearing them actually talk positive about certain Kevin Smith films that usually gets dogged <laughs> right. by most of society, so with the exception of like um, Tuscan uh, Yoga Hosers, they all three in unison hated those movies, and that's why I like geeking poetic podcasts. Uh. <laughs> wow! So anyway, yeah, check those shows out at the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and you can do that at 
if you type in thepfpn.com. So now is a good time as any to mention our sponsor, Shudder! Shudder is a premium streaming video service, um, super serving genre fans of all types with the best selection of horror. Shudder can be seen just about anywhere uh, from your iPhone to your Xbox One to your Roku, you name it. Um, you can get Shudder for only $4.99 a month. That is one penny away from $5. Or $49.99 for a full year. And now, right now, this very second, as I'm talking, you can get a month of Shudder absolutely for free on us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. That's right. We're giving you a month for free. Oh, my God. That's so cool. I'm going to let that sink in. So here's how it works. If you go to Shudder.com backslash podcast and enter our very special promo code, it's ours and ours alone. No one else has this promo code. That's true. A-O-T-K-P. Enter that code and get a month for free on us. Again, go to Shudder.com backslash podcast and enter the promo code A-O-T-K-P. <clears throat> now, have you ever wondered what the cast here at Attack of the Color Podcast looks like? I don't. <laughs> well, you can wonder no more because if you become a sponsor to our show, you can get exclusive videos featuring the crew here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. Whoa! But that's not all. You can also get like you can get you can get your dose of Attack of the Killer Podcast every single week. You don't have to wait every other week for like our normal episodes. You will get Attack of the Killer Podcast every week. Thanks to bonus episodes that hit the opposite week of the regular show. Yep. And you can only get those by being a Patreon supporter. There's actually even a whole lot more, but I'm not going to get into that. So you want to know how you do this? Go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP. I'm seeing a trend here. <laughs> and find the tier that best suits you. And get all that amazing content to become a supporter of the show. It really, really, really helps... A lot. We appreciate it a lot. Absolutely. And we work very hard in providing you with all this extra content, making it worth your while being a supporter, and we enjoy making it for you. We want to make sure that you get to see it. So again, go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP and become a supporter of the show. <clears throat> now, if you have listened to this show before, you know, you've got to know by now, I would hope you would know by now, <laughs> That I am a huge Frank Henenlotter fan. Yeah. And was sitting sitting around thinking about Frank Henenlotter over the past couple of weeks, preparing for this show, prepare, preparing for this episode. I think he may actually hit within my top ten favorite directors. Ooh. Maybe. Mm. I really need to sit down and make the list. <laughs> You've made that list a hundred times. <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> oh, contraire. It's never been on Insane Mike's Women a top ten list. So that's true. If you want to know what that is, go to <coughs> patreon.com. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, he's definitely up there. So, I'm really excited to get in to dig into uh, into these movies with you guys. So, but before we get into our topic, it's time I introduced you to the podcast crew. A woman with purple hair walked up to him and asked, What a date! And he chose April 15th. 
Tad Good, everybody. <laughs> He's just not happy with that. I think he fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> he also has a veiny purple slug crawling around in his pants that shoots out gooey substances that makes him feel really happy. And ironically, he also named it Elmer. Jason Bollinger. <laughs> I told you that in confidence. Oh, oops. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Welcome, welcome. He used to take the Yogi Bear movie, and every time Yogi Bear stole a picnic basket, he'd splice in shots of Belial popping out of the basket just to freak kids out. And unfortunately, he made Yogi Bear a whole much better of a movie. Andy Wassum, everybody. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I learned from t- Tyler Durden. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, I didn't want to do a bad biology joke because that would probably get a little too dirty. So instead, I'm just going to welcome back to our show our longtime friend, Mike Reeb, everybody. Hello, it's good to be back. It's great to have you back, Heck my friend. Yes. Thank you. It's been too long. So I still have to finish my sandwich, so I'm going to turn it over to Tad. (laughs) All right, well, we're going to go right into what we watched, where we talk about what we've watched since we last recorded. And because um, he started with me, I'm going to start with him and say, Mike, what did you Ah, watch? His mouth's so full of sandwich right now. (laughs) I was like, he's going to do Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> what we ate. <laughs> um, turkey, roast Just beef, sandwich. Come on. Um, well, the big thing I watched, and to be honest, I've already watched it twice. I've enjoyed this movie so much. Um, Lords of Chaos. Yeah. Andy, I know you said you were going to bring this one up too, but that this is the yeah. big one I watched. So when it comes to like when normies, when they want to watch a current music biopic, they probably watch Bohemian Rhapsody. And I feel like a lot more hardcore horror fans are going to watch this movie, Lord's Chaos. So it's not necessarily a horror film, but I think it kind of falls in with um, with horror fans and, and whatnot. And you know, a lot of horror fans are metal metalheads. Uh, but uh, this is the biopic of the Norwegian black metal band Mayhem, which is also based on the book called Lord's of Chaos. Um, it's got uh, Rory Culkin, which was cool seeing him again. Um, he did a hell of did a hell of a job. Sorry to interrupt. But. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, he was awesome. He did a great job um, as Euronymous, kind of the leader of mayhem, and also kind of self proclaimed um, leader of the black metal scene in in Norway. Um, uh, Emery Cohen, I think is how you say his name, uh, plays Varg. And he's he's kind of the guy. If you followed any of that stuff in like the the nineties of of the Norwegian black metal scene and on all the craziness that went down with that, he was the one that really kind of started um, burning the churches down. And then eventually we become uh, Euronymous's kind of like arch nemesis, I guess you could say. Uh, Jack Kilmer um, as Dead, um, Mayhem's lead singer. That actually ends up committing suicide. Probably one of the most graphic, bloody suicides I've ever seen committed to film. Holy uh, balls. Y- y- oh, 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 oh. Wow. Yeah. I uh, uh, had uh, major, major props to the effects guy. Uh, uh, yeah, that was intense. That was... <laughs> 
uh, you just have, I can't really describe it. I, I think you just have to see it to believe it. I think so. Well, it's it's one thing like you know he he slices his arms, he slices his neck, and then he shoots his head off with a with a shotgun. But uh, but when he's slicing himself up. And they do this when he's yeah. cutting himself on stage two. They cut to an extreme close-up of the knife yeah. slicing through the flesh. That's just nasty, nasty looking. It would, literally, it was making me cringe every time they'd cut to these close-up yeah. shots. And I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of the stabbings in this movie. I just, like, there's no music in this at all when like the killing is happening. So it just makes it that, but to me, it made it that much more raw and visceral, and just that much more disturbing because that's what it's actually supposed to be. I mean, it, at least that, that was my impression. Yeah, I mean, it's all based. It's based on as far as anybody really knows. I guess um, there's only uh, Varg and Varg, who's still alive, would really probably know the into- the entire story. And who knows how much he, you know, how much he's told the truth over the years. But, uh, mm. <clears throat> well, this is all based on on fact and just how dark of a rabbit hole all these kids fell down into into this like whole, you know, Satan rules and all this like black metal thing that they that they were they were trying to do this whole lifestyle that they were creating. <coughs> um. So yeah, it gets pretty dark in a lot of times, but oddly funny at a lot of moments too. I thought, <laughs> uh, which I feel like they did that on purpose to kind of take take the piss out of like how badass these kids thought they were, you know. And there's like moments in the film I really thought that uh, was kind of almost making fun of these guys. Of the whole, yeah, of the whole culture. The They're whole just culture. Like, yeah. You guys are idiots, you know. Oh you guys yeah, are just... like when Varg is being interviewed by the by the <laughs> newspaper and the newspaper guy, and he's talking about he's talking in the third person as if he's not a part of it. When yeah. Varg's talking about the church burnings and the uh, the black circle and the members of the black circle. And and the reporter's like, "Well, how many of you are in the black circle?" And he's like, "Well, there's seven of it." Uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it, it's shit like that. And I also, like, find it hilarious, too. And maybe maybe it's more of a just, um, um, juxt- I can never say that word, juxtaposed, um, where uh, there's a lot, I mean, it's not, like, out in the open, but there's a lot of talk about these guys in relationship to their parents. Like, Varg's, mm-hmm. Varg's album is completely financed by his, by his mom. Uh, the record shop that uh, Euronymous owns um, was fronted by his parents, and there's a scene. I can't remember which guy which guy was the one that actually stabbed the guy to death outside that bar. Um, but before he goes to the bar, and you can tell he's got this plan, right? Um, he's leaving the house, and he's like, uh, "I'm gonna go out, mom," you know, and and leaves the house. Nice. You know, it's like. He's always Again, telling his mother where he's going and just, yeah. you know, letting her know. It's like they're like the complete opposite of like this anti-establishment movement that they're trying to, you know, portray. Yeah. Well, and there's even that one part too. Like, I mean, I mean, I don't. Even, my own daughters don't even do that. Like when they would live with me, if they would leave the house, 
they wouldn't they wouldn't even they wouldn't even say like I'm going out or anything, you know, they just do whatever. So I just think I find it really funny these like hardcore black metal guys are like, Yeah, I'm gonna go out, mom. Um <laughs> and there's that because there's that part too when Uranimus is in the record store and he's talking about um how much of an idiot Varg is for going to the papers and how he's gonna like he's gonna kill him and everything. And he makes that he's like they're talking about they're talking about how the shop is getting closed down because the dad because his dad stopped paying the bills, and the one and and then and then Euronymous just goes into it's like oh man he's such an idiot I'm gonna kill him, and the other guy goes, who your dad and he's like he's like no no, <laughs> and and the other guy makes makes a statement of like oh good because that'd be really sick man, and these guys are talking about burning churches and stabbing people and and doing all this nasty stuff but but. But killing your father, that's just sick. So I, I just I found a lot of those moments rather funny and again really uh really knocking the wind out of the sails of these uh of these guys who claim to be as hardcore as they are. But <clears throat> sort of speaking on that, there's a more sort of a sad touching scene when uh right after he commits suicide and his dad calls and like leaves a voicemail and you hear him, you know, and he's like, oh, I'm yeah. just checking up on you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and then like just how the fact that Euronymous is so full of shit through this entire movie, and I like how when Dead kills himself and Euronymous finds the body, he he doesn't show any emotion, and he goes to the store and gets a camera and starts taking pictures and stuff. But what they don't show you during that whole time is it comes back later in the movie where he's he's sitting in front of dead's dead body and just starts just starts crying yeah you know so again just showing like how much of how much of this story is is true and how much of his bullshit um these guys just over exaggerating stuff um but yeah this movie was great i loved it i thought it was awesome i really i really enjoyed it Did you watch anything else? Um, that's all really about it that I want to talk about anyway. Okay, well, I guess we'll go to Andy. What did you watch besides Lords of Chaos? Well, I managed to fit in... Um, I, I, wa- I watched quite a bit, but I guess I'll, I'll fire them off and I will stop on the ones that I want to talk about, okay? I did watch Slaughterhouse Rules... Uh, I did watch Piercing, and I think if Crispin Glover watched it, he would walk out and say, well, that was freaking weird. Um, <laughs> nice. I, I did get to see, even though it's not, uh, it's not horror, but I would really, really suggest it. Uh, Mid-90s, uh, the oh, film yeah. by jo- Jonah Hill, written and directed, I really, I highly, highly recommend that. Um, I did. Uh, I did get to watch Overlord finally. Absolutely loved it. Yay! Um, I I found myself. I actually read a early draft of Rob Zombie's Halloween, and I watched the making of it on the Scream Factory release, which is like about four and a half hours, and it <laughs> dove like clear into the production. And I, you know, I was kind of really enthralled with it. Took me forever, but I got got through it. <laughs> Um, I also, I also bought and bought the Scream Factory release of The Lawnmower Man because I wanted to watch the director's cut. 
And it almost kind of reminds me of like how Halloween Six was, you know, the producers oh. cut. It almost makes it a completely different movie with all the lost footage. <laughs> However, it, it doesn't really change the the end, but it just changes the the tone and the and the difference in this in the story. There's, there's a lot of footage of a chimpanzee dressed like RoboCop running around with a 357. I'm totally sold on that. <laughs> um, I also, and uh, Mike's going to love this, I finally watched uh, Lucio Fulci's The Beyond, which I, really, which I really liked, but I have to ask, what the hell is this guy's obsession with eyeballs? Right. We've got tarantulas <laughs> eating them. We've got dogs eating them. We're, they're getting gouged out, plucked out, you know, yeah. you know stabbed with wood. This guy is like eye crazy, or they're blind. And I have yeah. to say, my favorite part of the movie: um, blind mute Pippi Longstocking getting her head blown off was awesome. Fucking right, man. very <laughs> awesome. Oh yes. my god, that's the best. Oh my, yeah. And I was just like, at first, I was Brutal. like, okay, this guy's got like a revolver that like uh, can apparently hold like you know sixteen bullets at once, but. Um, Another another thing that I was just like, why does he keep shooting him in the, in the chest when he knows like a headshot <laughs> drop? Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that was one of my that was one of my gripes, but uh, I really liked uh, the Beyond and Overlord and uh, and as we touched on earlier, I really liked Lords of Chaos because um, I'm a I'm a true story kind of guy, and especially like you know. Uh, true crime, true story kind of guy. Like, you know, that's why I like films like, uh, for instance, Bully. You know, that's a true story. And, but yeah, Lord, Lords of Chaos and the ones I mentioned, yeah, the, I really, really liked them. So that's what I watched. Excellent. I guess um, we got to get it out of the way eventually. We'll just go ahead and call on Jason, and then we can all take a half-hour break. It's while not he tells that us. bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. <clears throat> um, I was listening to the uh, uh, My Bleeding Ears podcast. It's also available on the PFPN.com. Um, those guys are great, Larry and Jesslyn. But they did a recent episode about the Wild Bunch. Man, it got me so excited to go watch it, so I went and watched it. It's on, it's on Netflix if you haven't seen... Sam Peckinpah's fucking masterpiece. Yes, probably one of my favorite Peckinpah movies. You should go watch it. It's incredible. <coughs> it's been so, a while since I've seen it. Yeah. And I'm, not, and I'm not a big Western guy, but... I don't mind them. I kind of like well, I don't mind them, I but I don't like go them. out of my way to watch Westerns. <clears throat> yeah, it's just fucking good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's on Netflix. Thanks, Larry, for making me watch it again. Um... Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse. I, I loved it. Yeah. But the thing, I, uh, I, I can't stop listening to the score. It's so fucking good. I need to send it to you guys. Anyway, um, I watched The Favorite. Not, not a horror movie, but it's done by Yorgos Lanthimos or whatever, who did Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Lobster. <laughs> and it's fucked up and awesome. I, too, watched Slaughterhouse Rules. Um... All I, I was I was really excited for it, and it's pretty good, you know. And I mean, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost back together, you know, nice. like fuck yeah, that's all you need. Mar- 
Margot Robbie was a pleasant surprise. I wasn't expecting her in there. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. It was good. It was okay. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. I thought it was, it was okay. Good. Yeah. And then last night, uh, Tina and I watched Piercing, and I fucking loved it. I mean, I, I mean, yes, weird, but, uh, you know, I don't know. It was in a intriguing way of like, what the fuck is gonna happen? You know, like that's uh, they do a like the main character. I'll just read it to you. In this twisted love story, a man seeks out an unsuspecting stranger to help him purge the dark torments of his past. His plan goes awry when he encounters a woman with plans of her own. So it's this guy who wants to wants to go do a killing. And he's, yeah, he's kind of fucked up. And I love the way they blur the line of, like, what he's thinking and what's actually happening. And you you just don't always know because <laughs> he's just in his head the whole time. And it's really, it's kind of great. It's a great look at uh, what a super anal retentive person kind of goes through in a way. I don't know. I liked it a lot. And then the girl's great and the whole... Yeah, it's one heck of a ride once it gets going. And it's uh, it was directed by Nicholas Pesch, who did uh, The Eyes of My Mother, which I love, love, loved. And it's his new movie, so um, I really liked it a lot. I recommend it a lot. Hey, that's what I watched. Done. Boom. Faster than all you fuckers. <laughs> All right, well, Mr. Mike Reeb, what did you watch? All right, well, past couple of weeks, I got to watch, I actually got a few extra movies I got to watch. Um, one of them, man, there's been a lot of shade thrown at this movie and you know, probably beating a dead horse on this one, but I finally got to watch Phantasm Ravager. And mm. damn, I love this movie. I huh. think I'm like one of the, uh, this movie I thought was really, really good. Why? My you know, I... I don't know what it was. It's like, I can't complain about the story because none of the stories make any sense on any of them. So that's fine. Um, you know, it was great seeing Reggie back. It was great seeing Michael Baldwin back. Everybody was back in this one, which was really cool. Um, what I found like the biggest problem with the movie though, was that, uh, you know, the very first, the very first shot of the movie though, you look at it and it's like, wow, it looks like a made for sci-fi channel movie. Yeah. And, that's like the biggest, most jarring problem I found with the movie, but everything else, you know, and then the the effects, uh, yeah, I didn't, you know, the CGI effects and everything did not look good at all. I thought, you know, so, you know, and those I fully understand. I felt really bad because I was watching it on Joe Bob's, and yeah. so I'm like, I'm like thinking on this. I'm just like bashing on the effects, and then he actually has the effects girl on there. It's like, wow, <laughs> oops, you kind of failed there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but overall though i mean i really liked this movie i really enjoyed where it went it made me tear up like Aww. you know the, the one scene where it actually made me tear up i thought that was like, damn that was kind of cool you know in the end uh all three of them are together going to battle the forces of evil it's like at the end it's like dude that was kind of badass um hands down the craziest scene though in that entire movie though when it blew me away, is like he's uh, Reggie's like standing in like the uh, the the yard of like the old folks' home or whatever, 
And the doctor's like, what the hell is he doing out here? And the doctor's like approaching him like with a needle. And then all of a sudden, like Mike's on the other side of the yard. He's talking with Mike and Reggie are talking to him. Mike tosses him that shotgun and he turns around. And now like where the doctor was, you just see the guys in the gas mask and everything. He's like, dude, what the hell? That was awesome. <laughs> th- th- this movie had, you know, the, the giant city, the giant city leveling spheres and everything. Thought those were cool. I don't know. I just, I really dug it. You know, and the one time where Reggie looks like he could actually get some action, he just falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, it, it's one of those movie goals. One of those things where I watch it is like I did not. I don't understand the hatred for it because for me it's like as much as like. You know, I mean, even Joe Bob at the beginning of the whole marathon says these movies don't make much sense. He's telling you what drugs and alcohol to drink to enjoy them and get the most <laughs> out of them. So, okay, story-wise, I actually I like where it went with the story. I thought that was actually really pretty cool. Yeah, there were some pretty heavy themes in there with the aging and and poor Reggie going through that. Yeah, but I think that's just one of the, one of the things I just loved. He he kind of became this. I suppose in a way, kind of like an interdimensional crusader or fighter or whatever, you know, and it's like, it's like him and the tall man kind of almost have to exist together now, which I thought was actually really kind of neat. And they were like, even the scene where like Reggie's like in the bed and he looks over and he sees the tall man, old, just real old frail man, just laying in the bed next to him. It looks like he's about to die as well. It's like, damn, that was actually kind of cool. Hmm. There, there, there may be a theory that like the whole series might have been all part of Reggie's dementia. Which you know what? And I see, and that's why I ended up not liking the movie because that's how I, that's what that was my takeaway from it. So, it, you know what? It's like I, I could get that. I could totally see that. But you know, you know, you're watching the movie. Okay, you know, slight spoiler. Okay, at one point Reggie dies. You see him die. And it's like, oh man, you know. But you got, uh, you got Mike and uh, Jody sitting there at his at his bed with him. It's like, oh damn, that was actually, yeah, that kind of hit me in the feels pretty good right there. But at the very end, whether he's alive or dead, another dimension, afterlife, whatever, these guys are gonna take off and they're gonna do battle. It's like, that's awesome. I just I love the way that ended. I thought it was great. Mm. The bands um, back together, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. They are they are back together and they're gonna kick ass and do some cool folk music. <laughs> <laughs> Sell some ice cream. Oh yeah, and then the the other movie I did get to watch was uh, "You Might Be the Killer" on a yes. Shutter. Oh, nice. yeah, That's that really was good. fun as hell. That I was really it. a lot of fun. Loved it. Me you too. know and. And the way it kind of kept jumping around a little bit, um, you know, it's like it was a great. And I thought the use of Allison Henney in that movie was that was a great use of like a higher tier actor. You know, so it's one of those like, okay, let's gonna bring her in for a day or two. All she's gonna do is talk on the phone, get all her scenes done, and then we're just gonna make the rest of the movie. It's like, dude, that's genius. But it felt like she was there for the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that was that was a lot of fun. The I thought the mask was cool as hell too. That yep. that mask was really friggin' neat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, I think those are the only two I really saw of note worthwhile right now. 
Nice. Yeah. Well, Tad, awesome. what'd you watch? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> actually, I sort of came into this thinking I hadn't watched anything. Uh-oh. And then I, I'm like sort of looking back at what I've watched, and I have. I mean, I did a lot of catching up on Oscar stuff uh, since we last talked, and don't really have anything noteworthy to talk about there. I did see. I started Russian Doll on Andy's uh, suggestion a few weeks ago, yeah. and got a few episodes in on that. It's pretty, pretty great, and the fact that it's uh, half-hour episodes. They need a whole section of Netflix that just says, like, half-hour episodes. Because <laughs> I will watch the dumbest anything if it's half-hour for some reason. But if it's an hour, I'm like, I don't have an hour to sit still. So, you know, <laughs> I- I'll definitely watch this. Um, but you'll watch the half-hour episodes back-to-back. <laughs> yep. Well, it's, it's something. Well, I, I will fit in, like, like yesterday I, I watched a half-hour episode in, like, three parts. Because I'm always doing, like, three things at once. I know it's like the worst way to consume something, but um, <laughs> the Kaminsky method's my pick for favorite half-hour show. Yeah, if you haven't seen that, anyway, I should. Um, I watched the first twenty-eight minutes and eighteen seconds of Lords of Chaos <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I was previewing it at the Capitol, and the Blu-rays that the um, distributor sent me were bad and they glitched at 28 minutes both of them at the same spot oh. on every player so then they sent me a file today and it glitches one minute seven mi- seven seconds into the file <laughs> oh Jesus! so i'm this uh, movie i haven't been able to watch it all the way through but i think I, I thought for some reason i had mentioned this on the last podcast but i checked the date and i don't believe i, I think i saw it the day after we last recorded i saw the prodigy I don't think yeah. I talked about that last time, did I? <clears throat> I don't think so. I did anybody so. else see it? Nope. Yeah, no. I, I'm sensing the silence that um, Reeb and Andy didn't watch it. Well, I know that the guy from The Prodigy died today. Not, not <laughs> right. Wrong. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. I, no, that's, that's just me saying I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, it's not actually, yet. actually uh, pretty damn cool like i i feel like if i i I made the mistake of going on tuesday which is five dollar theater and that was what worked in my schedule and i wish i hadn't because uh you know 15 minutes in group of kids came sat directly in front of us all pull out their phones and it became a confrontation thing between them and the wife which did she beat anybody up this time no they were all terrified like Good. She hushed them. They looked over their shoulder and they saw me staring at them, like with my arms uh-huh. crossed, my angry beard at them. So yep. they, yeah. But uh, pretty, pretty cool movie. I, I, I don't think I probably needed to see it in theaters, and some of it was pretty predictable. But I was surprised by how um, visceral, maybe I guess would be the word. It's, it's rated R. It's from the trailers and stuff. It looks sort of like a PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Just another movie that falls into that, and I, I hate to judge a movie just based on its rating, because uh, there's a lot of horrible movies that are rated R, and a lot of great movies that are, are uh, rated PG-13. But there's some some really creepy scenes that they stole from other movies in this uh, that I won't spoil. But it's definitely worth a watch when this one hits whatever um, streaming or on Blu-ray or whatever. It's definitely worth a watch. I wouldn't say it's the best. I don't, it could be. I haven't seen a whole lot of horror this year, so it's the uh, slim pickings. But it, it's pretty damn good. Uh, I also 
saw something. It's not quite horror, but it definitely would fall in the interest of our listeners. I saw uh, FP2, Beats of Rage, which if I know I've talked about the first movie on here, and I couldn't believe no one had heard it, heard of it or seen it. Uh, Reeb, have you ever seen the FP? No? No. Well, it's this um, Jason Trost. He's sort of a DIY director. He's he. Uh, I don't know how he does it, but he shoots these gorgeous features on either no money or he does a little bit of crowdsourcing. But it's it's amazing what he can do for nothing. I sort of want to know his magic powers. Um, he made this movie several years ago, probably I'm thinking like almost ten years ago, 2011 or something, 2008. I don't I don't remember. Called the FP, and it basically like uh, it's really hard to explain but it's like I, I would say the its biggest influences were like mad max and big trouble in little china where these characters sort of fight they, they it's in a post-apocalyptic world and these characters all have gangs they, they have rival gangs that fight over their land or turf but instead of like physical fights they do dance off on like a ddr type thing like dance dance revolution and uh so, like step, step up meets the warriors sort of, yeah <laughs> yeah but it's but it's like done like this this new one is a sequel obviously but it's much more inspired i'd say by video games because i think the title beats of rage is on is a play on the old video game streets of rage oh. and uh so it's interesting because his brother jason Tross's brother is a you know he he shot the first one with his brother and since then since the first movie he's become a very high demand cinematographer who's doing all of like um seth rogan's movies he basically like anything that seth rogan's in he gets uh, jason tross i'm trying to draw on a blank brandon tross that's his name uh to shoot it and so he's shot like Rob Zombie's Halloween Two. He shot um, This Is the End. He shot Neighbors. He's he's done. He's doing like he's pretty much the go-to for big-budget comedies as far as a cinematographer goes. And so he's left the equation. So I was a little worried that this movie wouldn't look as good because you know it was clear that he was very talented. But um, it doesn't suffer at all. It's, it's sort of cool to see that since technology has sort of stepped up, you can now create. You know, even over the last since the last what eight years or something since the last one was made, you can you can do so much more with not as much money. You know what I mean? So I highly recommend you check this one out. It's hilarious. It's it's uh, intentionally funny. It, it's sort of I don't know. The first one sort of got uh, a reputation because it's like a it's almost made to be a cult classic. It's so it's has its own language. It's very strange. Very cool. I don't think I think the first one, Draft House Pictures released the first one, and I don't think the, I think the Blu-ray is out of print now, so it's like sixty or a hundred dollars or something crazy on Amazon. But there's probably ways to check it out somewhere. But um, Jason Trost, you can look up his other movies on Prime. He has like three or four other really cool movies, and he plays basically plays the same character in almost all of his movies, which is just a um, sort of caricature or a um he tyler perry's it, Got it. yeah well he he plays himself <laughs> no he plays himself in like ever almost like a, a, a sort of exaggerated version of himself 
in all these movies because he wears an eye patch in real life, so he wears an eye patch in all of his movies. And strangely enough, this character from the FP appears in like this is the end. He appear he's in Hatchet two or three. I think he's in Hatchet three as his character. He's he plays the same character in like ten different movies. And they're big <laughs> movies, and it's so strange. It's like, so it's, it makes all these movies canon in the FP world. I'm not sure how. But um, just Google Jason Tross sometime and go down the wormhole, because it's uh, very interesting that how this guy has this whole career, but no one has any idea who he is. So, I, yeah. know the, I know the feeling. <laughs> Aww. Well, have you guys seen This is the End, you know, with Franco and... Oh, yeah. Zell? That thing, that movie's uh, hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, there's there's that <clears throat> scene that's, like, with Danny McBride and Channing Tatum, you know, what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where he has him as, like, the gimp, basically. Yeah. Um, Jason Trost is in that scene as Jethro, who's the guy from the FP. He's in that scene as his character from the FP, which is so strange. Like, hmm. he somehow sneaks his character into these movies because his brother's shooting it, and it's like his little Easter egg, where, where will Jethro appear? <laughs> So that's cool. I yeah. find it like endlessly fascinating that he's he's in the background in all these movies as his character from his own little independent movie. That's awesome. It is. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I watch. So um, I actually think I talked longer than Jason this week. Ha <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but Jason wanted to go back and talk about something really quick. Oh jeez. Did anyone else see Piercing? I wanted to. I forgot something about that. Okay. I haven't got to see it yet, unfortunately. I got right. a Piercing. Okay. I, apparently, <laughs> I'd seen a it. half an hour of it in my sleep or something. Cause yeah. Well, I just I forgot to mention that they they use music from Italian films. Ooh. They use Goblin. They use they use Goblin. Oh. And I like I don't now I have to watch. Yeah, dude, it's fucking awesome. But it made me like as a movie guy and a guy who's done music in movies. I didn't know that you could do that. You know, like I. I mean, what I know mean? that a, a piece of music doesn't belo- belong to a movie that it's in or for. Oh, like, like using somebody else's score? Yeah. Even if it is legally? Yeah. I didn't know that. It just seems Dude, <clears throat> weird. Well, well, when it comes to Goblin, when it comes to Italian film, I mean, I know this isn't an Italian film, but go. you want, you want the most jarring example of that? Go watch Bruno, is it Bruno Mattei? Yeah, Bruno Mattei's Hell of the Living Dead. It is the fucking Dawn of the Dead soundtrack. Right. Beat for beat. Wow. I guess I just never knew that you could it, do that. It, yeah, it's and it, it's and I bet it's jarring too. I mean, like if you know the original source oh, yeah. material, you're like I'm I'm hearing yeah, I'm this, like, which is making me red. think of Boom. the what's that? Oh like that's deep red. Boom. I yeah. knew it instantly. And, oh fuck, that's Tenebrae. Oh fuck. Nice. You know, I'm just like, what? And How? you're sitting there. Probably having those images in your head from those movies as you're seeing images. Right, it brings from stuff in, and it yeah. definitely makes this film more jello than it, because it is in a way. You know, like it's very homage to it. I wouldn't know necessarily say that it's a jello movie, but they do like. There's definitely like a prop in it that's yellow, very clearly not normal. Yeah, but it's like yellow on purpose. Oh, you know, plus this music. Ah, oh, I think I mean, and there's gloves in it. You know, like there's not necessarily a jello movie, but it's just so neat and weird. I just, one, I didn't know you could do it. And yeah, it's cool how like it brings other feelings with it, hearing this other piece of music. I just thought, 
I mean, I get like popular songs. Yeah, that's in lots of different movies, blah, 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 blah. But I guess in my brain, Goblin and these songs for those movies belong in those movies. Well, for those movies. Sitting here talking about it, I can think of some other examples where this has happened. But are you saying like the whole score is literally ripped off Goblin? No. But it's all used. Almost all of it's used. Because remember, Shaun of the Dead did that a little bit too they 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 took a lot of music cues from from the goblin score from i haven't Dave, seen that for from so dawn long. of the dead as well though what's that i haven't seen Shaun of the dead since the day oh i mean since then like literally the opening yep on no, the company now. logo starts with that like yep dawn of the dead yeah. well i mean tarantino's made a whole career out of it fucking right he has <laughs> um i mean like hateful eight's whole score is was for the thing you know like enio couldn't even get you know it was like a big deal they they had to determine how much he actually used from the thing to see if Hmm. he qualified Hmm. anyway because you know carpenter hired him to do the score for the thing and then he ended up as carpenter typically would went back and re-recorded most of all of it Hmm. for himself and uh (laughs) only used a little bit of it oh Speaking of uh, soundtracks, and it pissed me off because I wished I owned it. Um, did you when you were watching Lords of Chaos? Did you notice that Rory Culkin put on Tangerine Dreams, the Park is Mine soundtrack, before <laughs> the guy comes over to you know stab him? Oh, is that what Which, was playing? Okay, yeah, awesome. he was playing the. It was Tangerine Dreams, uh, the Park is Mine with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. He put that soundtrack on, which is like the furthest damn thing from Norwegian black metal you can get. Which uh, uh, which I would assume is extremely intentional as well because he's in his apartment, he's alone, he now has his, all of his hair cut off. Yeah. You know, so like, I mean, Euronymous just comes off as the biggest poser of the whole, of the whole film, in a film full of you know, self-proclaimed posers. So Yeah, and he's the first one to point the finger at a poser, which is Oh like, yeah. That Total final hypocrisy. That fi- I laughed my ass off at that final. You know, he. You know, he. Spoiler alert. He dies at the end. You know, and like, and he's narrating through the whole movie, and just his. You know, and it's showing all these shots of like, you know, his sister being sad, staring out the window. His girlfriend being sad, riding in this car. And, you know, it's just all somber and everything. And then his final narration is like, you know, hey, I was. I started Norwegian black metal. I was the leader of Mayhem. Uh, I own my own record store. What have you done? What have you done lately, you posers? And then, it, and then credits. <laughs> Man, that was that's a new movie. You did spoil it. Maybe I'll beep that out or something. Oh, maybe you should. <laughs> <clears throat> but I, I don't, anyway. I don't apologize for spoiling it because, like, if you know the story. I knew a little bit about it going into it, so. Anyway, I wanted to, I forgot I mentioned that about piercing, and and I wanted to do that. Okay, now I'm done. Okay. Okay, so, yeah, we should probably get into the topic at hand, huh? It is time now to talk about Frank Henlotter. Woo! All right! Uh, Jason, which one should we start with? I say at the beginning. Ah, Back to 1982, Basket Case. What is the secret Dwayne is hiding in the basket? 
What's in the basket? Easter eggs? What's in the basket? Clothes. What's in the basket? Nothing. What's in the basket? My brother. What's in the basket? Open it, if you dare. Basket case, opening at our theater for you. Yep, a young man carrying a big basket that contains his extremely deformed Siamese twin brother seeks vengeance on the doctors who separated them against their will. Boy, this is a movie. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> no, it's it gets better every time I watch it. it it's uh, not I lotion think. in the basket. That's right. I don't know. I love it. It's good. It's not good, but it's good. What do you mean it's not good? Um, Come on. What? It's ch- I I will say this being and I'm and I'm doing this specifically for for Mike. At the beginning of the movie, when he's walking down what I'm assuming is 42nd Street, mm-hmm. and the uh, the guy is talking to him about all the drugs, there is a movie poster in the background. Did you get a good look at what it was? I don't, um, I don't oh, I think I saw. It's a poster? Reeb saw it. <laughs> yeah. Probably owns it's it. An, oh. It's an old school uh, sort of like uh, exploitation oh. movie. You know, I'm trying to blank on it now. Uh, it's because it's a. Uh, it's the uh, like Henry Fonda truck exploitation movie, isn't it? Yes, yes. And I looked it up, uh, and it's uh, the great. I... Oh shoot! Yeah, because I have like at least one or two of those. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> uh, it's the great smoky roadblock. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, Jason. Continue. <laughs> oh no! It's uh, it's just a wonderfully oh, but... B movie. Made in the early 80s, like early, early, and it uh, drips of dirty old New York. That's what I love about all of Frank's movies. Yeah. He has a a time capsule, a a photo book of times gone by. Yeah, especially with how it's been cleaned up over the past few years there. And I think that's because of the way he films you know, like I learned a lot. I got you know the new, I got the new Arrow Blu-rays um, for it, and Brain Damage. And man, I spent all weekend going through that. So much features on there, and I, it's just one of the things I love. I grew to love him for was his um, independent spirit. Like oh, big time independent and, spirit. And why I love him so much is like he literally will tell you and anyone to his face. He's like, I will never fucking get a permit to shoot ever <laughs> fucking again. <laughs> because fuck that, you know. Like, yep. it's why, why? Because someone else wants to make money for no uh, no reason. Yep. And um, and and that's why. He, I think we because you know he had he got to get so much of New York in his movie because he didn't fucking get permits he didn't do any of that and they I they almost awesome. come a, 
the films to me almost come across as as campy as they are. They 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 come across as like trauma films, but they're like really polished trauma films. If there is yeah. a, such a thing, you know, they they just they they work a little bit better. They're like a little bit of a step above. Does anybody else get that feeling? Well, I think that just goes to like uh, Hen and Lauder. No, I don't know if I if this is the right thing to say either. That Hen Lauder takes the craft of it a bit more professionally or seriously than Kaufman does. And I don't even know if I want to blame Kaufman for that. Right. More than like who Kaufman surrounds himself with. Right. Like Kaufman's not an idiot. He just no. surrounds himself with a bunch of punk kids who just want to tell dick and fart jokes and don't he care about the actual craft of making a film. So trauma films look like shit because of it. And it's clear that Frank's a very smart, smart person in and, general. And probably far more controlling. Well, yeah, I mean, if you watch any of the trauma documentaries, you could, you know Kaufman is controlling, but he's Big just time. more of a guy throwing a temper tantrum. Where Hen and Lauder, I feel like, it's you know you literally have to do it his way, which means he's got his hand in the pot of of everything that's going on, um, in the film, and and I just I have I've always felt like Hen and Lauder just loves that side of New York. That is always his backdrop. It's just like just the gross, you know. Um, uh, Seedy underbelly of yep. of New York, you know, where he like lived and he wanted to show it off. Dirty underground sex clubs and you know streets laced with freaking crack pipes and something about that. I guess he just loves. I don't know if that has anything to do with where he actually grew up because you know he's a New York guy. But there's something about it that I love too because I I love that that New York underground or exploitation film scene, people like Frank Hennenlotter or Lloyd Kaufman, um, or, you know, movies like Street Trash, and, you know, just the, these all these movies that show the worst part of New York, and... That's I why I like know. watching the TV show The Deuce on HBO. It just, it's like late oh, yeah. 70s. And it's uh, it basically they recreate that whole era, and it's you, you you guys would love it if you're into that sort of thing. And I don't know why I like it because I would never want to be around no. it. That's I would, yeah, I would last five minutes in it, but I just love looking at it. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would love to spend at least one weekend in that style of New York just to go in and out of all the different theaters, just to oh, see yeah. all the movies they have in the theaters there. It's like that would be awesome. I, I would love to be there. You know, a day for a day during the heyday of Forty Second Street, um, just for the movies in the theater, for the theaters. But at the same time, like I know I'm going to be sitting next to some, you know, some bum on crack, with my feet standing in an inch of urine or something. You know, and it's all I part would of not, the grindhouse experience. And I'm not cool with that. I don't want to be <laughs> in that. <clears throat> but I love that, and I think it's just because I just love the. Look of those of those films of the Hennenlauter films or you know the trauma films or you know I mentioned Street Trash is another one that I think really falls into place with that era. Well, yeah, a lot of a lot, that's half the crew from Street Trash worked worked on brain damage and yeah, 
But the thing I, I think I, and like the hours of supplemental stuff on this disc, like every time Frank would be like, yeah, these effects suck and they're not good. And I could not get the money I needed to do them, but I had to do it because I had to make this movie. And that's the, and so the heart is clearly there while watching it. You know, you, and that's, that's what I grew to love more and more about Basket Case and his films when I watch them. is just, he's like, because he's smart and because he's a filmmaker and knows what he's doing, like the, the technical side of things, it, yeah, it looks good with what he, but what he had to work with just wasn't much. But he was so determined to make a film, like he had to forge ahead anyway. And he's like, so I got these shitty constructed sets that are the same set. We just had to cut, paint the room a different color or flip the negative so things were on the other side of the room. You know, like I just, I had to do what I had to do to make it work. And that stuff was awesome. Very awesome. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of falls in line with our own filmmaking yeah. philosophy, yep. you know, because even probably at the time he knew that those effects sucked or, you know, that this looks cheap and cheesy or whatever, but he still finished it. He still put it out there and now look, now and look he at He it. talks about having that moment of like, do I fucking finish this? It's not going to be what I want. It's not going to be good. You know, but, like, he's just like, I gotta fucking do it. You know, like, I gotta at least get it done. Whatever happens with it happens. But if I don't, if I don't finish this, I may never finish anything. I may never get my chance to, I, I can't get a chance to make a second one if I don't make a first one. Yes. You know, so. That's awesome. I, yeah. I will give him props, though. You said he had, had difficulty, but I think that the surgical separation scene for 1982 yeah and i'm taking that in consideration for 1982 that surgery scene looked pretty well for, you know what did you guys think i thought it looked really good my whole stance on every shortcoming of this movie i feel plays into it because i can still I, 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 when I view the film nowadays, I have a different sensation, but I can remember those feelings at being up, up home alone at two in the morning, watching USA up all night and seeing Basket Case for the first time and how it, it, it creeped me out and disturbed me. And I think those shortcomings play into it. Just that opening shot of the doctor running from his car to the house. And how it's some of the worst lighting scheme ever cool. committed to film, where it's just like harsh lighting projected right on top of the guy. But I feel it effective because everything beyond that path of light and the house is just pure emptiness and darkness. And there's mm -hmm. an isolation feeling that comes in with that. And you're talking about the separation scene. Yeah, the gore is, is pretty cool, some cool blood and stuff. But what makes that work for me, understanding that it's really shitty, is the Foley work. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really loud on the soundtrack. It's overly loud on the soundtrack. I don't know mm -hmm. of any human tissue that makes those type of squishy noises <laughs> that it was making. But it you know back in 1980 whatever watching it for the first time those 
over-the-top, extremely loud, cutting, squishy sound effects grossed yeah. me out. I thought it was disgusting, more disgusting than the blood on the screen. You know, and I don't know. It just sounded like he was like squishing baloney in a plastic bag or something. I can't, rem- I can't remember the story. I'm bad at this, but like he he talks about. I can't remember if it's the commentary or one of the features, but he said he was like, I'm fucking terrible at the sound design and the <laughs> and foley stuff. But I can't remember the circumstance. But he got to sit in with like a guy who was doing sound for some big fucking studio thing. And, like, so Frank had been thinking he's got two tracks of audio to work with, you know, and so he's trying to, and, like, this guy comes in, or he goes to where he's doing, and he's like, how did you make that fucking sound? And he's like, oh, here, let me break it down for you. And it shows him, like, seven things layered on top of each other to make, oh, he's trying to, he's like, I tried to record gunshots, and my gunshots sound like total shit. And he's like, yeah. They do when you try to record a gunshot. And he's like, well, what'd you do? And he showed him, like, over here, I'm hitting this with this. Over here, I'm cracking this. And he, like, showed these seven things. Like, he layered over this one cool. sound to make a gunshot that were none of it was guns. <laughs> you know? And, and yeah. Frank's mind was fucking blown. And he's just like, from that day on, he's just like, he couldn't wait to go back and start working on the sound effects. And he said, to this day, of all the steps of filmmaking... That that the sound work is his favorite part still of doing films because of that. Well, we'll get in. I think we'll get into sound. I've got some things to say about (laughs) sound in some of the other films we're going to talk about. Yeah. Well, one in particular, but uh, (laughs) yeah. Um, I don't know. I can keep going, but we haven't heard from uh, from Tad or Mike yet. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, I think. If you want to watch this and get the full effect, um, check out check it out on our sponsor Shutter. Heck yeah! Or you can get a free month and you can watch the Joe Bob uh, Last Drive-In version, where he comes in and gives some of the best commentary on this movie that you can hear. I mean, yeah, I feel almost uh, unworthy to even talk about it right. after watch- watching his version because he'll. <laughs> I mean, he's so educated, and he held such a big part in make you know getting this movie in the yeah. theaters. Yeah, uh, he's the reason we're probably talking about it today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it might you know, and you know, he has a true passion for this movie, and it sort of makes me love it even more. Yeah, because I saw this. That. I saw this when I was younger, and had a lot of fun with it, but I didn't really see any um, value in it, or not. Not saying mm-hmm. I didn't see any value, but I didn't see the value in it until you sort of watch it with Joe Bob's commentary and and listen to what he has to say and and hear the you know what went went on behind the scenes and what went into getting it to where it is today and you just sort of appreciate it more when you when you hear what Joe Bob has to say about it. So yeah, for sure. Me, I've always loved this movie. I remember the first time I saw this was probably, it was at least uh, 25 years ago, probably 30 years ago. It's like on HBO one night. Because I think they were, because I think they were showing like a couple of the different ones. And because I think like even at the time, HBO would like have like the new one. They were like premiered the new one, Mm -hmm. um, like part three way back in the day. But I remember watching the original and it's like, and and, and it always stuck out in me like, 
the the scene where you know you first see uh, Belial just moving around by himself, mm-hmm. and yeah, because I'm because I'm, I'm such a I'm a huge fan of stop motion animation. I lo- I've always loved that Harry House and everything like that. It's always been like one of my favorites, and just so just trying to just seeing that the way they did that, I thought it was actually really pretty cool. Yeah, yeah you could tell it's stop motion, but it just added so much to the charm of this movie. Yeah, yeah. And that's just one of the things I loved about it. And then, and uh, Kevin Van Hendrick, you know, he, you know, if it wasn't for him selling the movie like he did, you know, while, you know, acting in it, I don't know if it would have been nearly as good because he was so amazing in this movie. You, because you actually, you, you, you watch this. And one of the things I love about this movie is the heart and the love that he has for his brother. And that's, you know, all the way from when they were kids all the way to now, you know. The only time, you know, he gets mad at him, of course, is like when a, of course, when, you know, when a girl gets in the way, that's how it always happens. But, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's one of the things I love. You know, it's like he loves his brother, you know. And the fact that, you know, you know, he, he's, you know, they were raised by their aunt who loved both of them equally. And so that's one of the things about that I think always gets overlooked in this movie is just, you know, the love that these two brothers have for each other. And now they're going on, like, on their little revenge vengeance spree and whatnot, which is actually really kind of cool. I love that. But, yeah, it's, I think that's just one of the things I love about it. You know, you know watching, like, uh, you know, these movies, you know, you, you see the, 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 the way that each one of these three movies kind of makes you feel a little bit differently, which is actually really kind of awesome about this whole... Uh, group of movies um but yeah i mean just the heart in this movie i loved it that that's one of the things i love about this movie and if you didn't have that it would just be it would just be a, just a basic monster movie but mm-hmm. you know they, they got something to where okay i could feel a little bit here i i get it i feel it it's like yeah come on guys finish it up you know yeah kevin says he uh he approached it and in, instead of like uh, these are brothers. He just internally, for his motivation, he said he approached it as they were the same person, cut into two oh, yeah. people. Yeah. You know, and you can tell that, and that's is what's great about them. Yeah, there's like there's a childlike innocence to his uh, performance too. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's that's what I really liked about it. And of course, when you know. The creature trashes the room. I'm laughing my ass off. I think that's <laughs> well, and there I mean, is a there is a lot of comedy in this film, and I, I feel like I catch more and more all the time. This last viewing, um, I don't, last viewing, I I laugh my head off when um, Dwayne brings in the television set. And he's like, hey, I got you this TV. I'm going to go out. And he's going out on the date. <laughs> and the first thing Belial does is try to change the channel. Oh, he's, and, and, and Dwayne's talking about how it's got a warranty and everything. And, and, and Belial goes to change the channel and breaks the knob off instantly. And I thought <laughs> yeah. that was so funny. <clears throat> was it, and the, the fact that he turned the TV on, and he didn't even try to find anything. Because you look at it, it's just like this messed up screen yeah so you can't yeah. even see anything to begin with <laughs> Yep. exactly but again i really feel like the shortcomings of this film all of its flaws i think enhances the film 
Everything from, like I mentioned before, some of the bad lighting, some of the over-the-top unrealistic foley, but uh, even some of the performances that may not be up to par. Like, I think, like, most of us could probably agree the weakest actress in the film is probably the aunt. Mm -hmm. But there was something about her in her, like, flat acting that I felt almost like it, maybe it was a choice, because that kind of made that aunt character a little creepy too. Kind of like she obviously, you know, loves her nephews and you know is doing anything to, you know. But you know they've killed, you know they've killed their father, and so her mor <laughs> her own moral compass is skewed too. Because instead of like I can't believe you killed your father, it'd be like you know don't worry, the police are gone. You know, we'll, we'll get this covered up. And but her performance is so flat that it seems like that character, there's something mentally off with her. Even though, you know, she's she is the one that has always looked after Dwayne and Belial. And she's kind of like, you know, the good person of the story. Um, but, like, maybe that's where Dwayne and Belial m lose part of their moral compass as well. Where they think it's okay to get revenge and kill people. Um... Because of the ants, maybe kind of crazy too, and so I feel like, and that's that's why I've I've come up with my own um, February resolution of like no more. I'm, I'm a little late on New Year's resolutions. So it's February. Um, on no more talking about bad acting. I don't. I I, I that just drives me crazy anymore. Listening to movie podcasts and talking about, oh, I didn't like this movie. Well, what you didn't like about it? Well, the acting was bad. Well, who's to say? Who's to say that the acting was bad, um, or maybe it was a choice? And um, I've heard people talk about bad acting in movies of like, R really? You you have no barometer of what bad acting is if you thought that was a bad a bad the, right. the you, worst performance ever or whatever you yeah. can say. You can't say microwave masters fucking brilliant movie, but then turn around and yeah, say that you didn't like the acting in a. What, yeah, yeah, and like I want to see any of these people who are saying, "Oh, the acting was so bad." I want to see them do it. You know, let's see you do a you do a better performance. So, so I'm not here like picking at the at the ant because like I feel like you know I could I you well, know maybe like a year ago I would be yeah. sitting here saying, "Oh, she's a horrible actress," but I think her performance actually again enhances those scenes because she's flat. She comes off as crazy. I, I like the way that uh, the dad even uh, mentioned how they had to do it right away because basically the aunt was out of town. Yeah. Since she was gone, they looked at the, he looked at it as like, this is the only time where they could actually do this. Yeah. I love the score in this movie, too. You, uh, was there anything in the features about the score? I actually have the... Uh, Oh, who put it out? Was it Mondo? I got the double <coughs> LP of of this. Oh, cool. Yeah. There might have been, but I can't recall right now. But I think I was I was really hoping Belial would uh you know, would actually been able to talk. Particularly I was hoping he was gonna say, Open your mind to me, Mr. Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Sorry, I, I could I couldn't help it. Open your mind, free Mars. <laughs> I liked how Belial would just scream everything. You know, oh, okay. like oh, that again, was a great scream, great scream. Yeah. 
again, and it's it's not funnier. Yeah, and it's not well mixed audio, but again, I think it 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 plays even more into it for me. Like that first viewing again, like every time Belial would lose his shit and like be screaming, (laughs) you got the fangs going and everything, and like I thought it, I thought Belial was so effective back then. I mean, I still do, but I, I now I recognize he's just a, a you know a melted Nerf football with arms. But right. <laughs> uh, this, this is one of those movies where you know it had a, such a low budget, which I think only just worked in its favor because if it had a much bigger budget, a lot of that charm just I don't think would have been there. Exactly, thirty-five thousand. Exactly. I think he said. Yeah. And, and say what you will about the effects or you know bad lining or whatever. I still think he he create he made he did miracles with that budget. He took it took him a year to film it. Jesus. So they would just they just work till they run out of money, go find some more money, and go back film some more till they ran out of money, go find some more money. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Was it shot on thirty five or sixteen? It 16? was sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. Yep. Yeah, brain damage up. was his first thirty-five. What's that? Uh, brain damage was his first thirty-five oh, okay. millimeter film. So yeah, this one was on sixteen. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, when when you mention about you know the charm of the film and you know the, its shortcomings, I mean it's just like if people say people would probably say that this is a a bad film and they're entitled right. to their opinions. Sure, but I mean there's there's bad good films, but I mean that and then there's like really bad films bad that people films. like yeah. like <laughs> like. But I, I I would say this is like Citizen Kane compared to Troll Two. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I think there's like a there should be, you know, like a hierarchy of like bad films. I mean, you can't you I mean, you can't put this next to Troll 2 and right. and say that it's that bad. Right. But, you know, I mean, this like you said, this has its own for its sh- shortcomings, it provides a certain charm and, yep. you know, it's like it's like um it's kind of like it's it's like the junk food of films. Even though it's it's really bad for you, it would probably give you a stomach ache if you add it too much. <laughs> but it's so very comforting at the same time, you know. Well, and that's the way that's the way I look at these films. Well, see, one thing I kind of what I've kind of noticed a little bit is like, you know, I like the fact that it took him a year to film this. Yes, it was micro budgeted, really low budget and everything, but you know, it's taking a year really allows him to take the time he needs, though, too. And, you know, because I've seen, like, some micro-budget movies that they're shot and everything's shot and done so fast that it just makes it look really cheap and rushed and everything. Whereas, like, you know, granted, yeah, this took him a year to do, and I'm sure he, you know, however he did it and everything like that, but during those times where he's trying to make more money, he probably still has time to go in look at it, do some editing and stuff like that, figure yeah. things out. He, he's taking the time he needs, and that shows. That, I mean, this movie shows that you can make, a, you know, to me, this is a quality-looking movie. You yeah, know, and I you agree. can make a quality-looking movie on a micro-budget as long as you're willing to take some extra time. Maybe a year is a little bit too long for some people, but for him, it was a perfect amount of time for him to get the look that he needed. And it came out, I think, looking great. I love this movie. Yep, same here. And again, I feel like, you know, 
people could see on the surface the shortcomings, but if they if they knew more of what was going on, like I, I when I first learned that there was no actual front desk of the hotel, that it's actually <laughs> an open elevator that they put a desk in front of and set dress dress the elevator to look like <laughs> look like the guy's That's back great. office. Oh, um, I never knew that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's an elevator. That whole front desk area is just an open elevator. <laughs> amazing, right? That's a freaking amazing... You would never know that. And, I, and he did an amazing job making it look like a front desk. I, I, Yeah, I commend him, man. You know I mean, I would have never guessed that. I would have figured that's what it was. As a filmmaker, that's that's the fun stuff, you know. Figuring out those problems and how to make it work. And this is a movie of uh, how to make things work. Yeah, and the hallway, the hallway of the apartment, the the apartments, that was all handmade too. That's like made out of cardboard. And yeah, shit. those those pipes running overhead. It's not pipes. It's cardboard. Yep, they wow. found in dumpsters. <clears throat> they just go dumpster diving every night to find props for their movie. That's where <laughs> they got the sink and the toilet that's in the bathrooms. Wow. From finding it on the street. I Did would you know- love. I would love to know the uh, the kung fu movie that they went and went to go see at the theater. Oh, Frank Hennenlauter's in that scene too. Yeah, Frank oh. Leonard, Frank Hennenlauter himself is sitting behind uh, Dwayne in that in that scene. Hmm. Tab- Did you guys know that this uh, movie is part of the permanent film collection at the Museum of Modern Art? Nice. Yep. Yeah. They're the ones behind restoring it. That's awesome. Yeah. On the on the the Arrow Blu-ray, they have the whole uh, evening of the premiere at the at MoMA. They have him on there, and then uh, uh, Kevin's there. The twin girls are there. A couple other folks. Um, uh, Beverly Bonner's there. <laughs> Beverly Bonner! So, yeah, he introduces yeah. it, they show it, and then there's a whole big um, Q&A after. It's at least a half hour long. It's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, it's going to make make me freaking poor, man. i got to buy this. <laughs> so, oh. J- Jason, you have the, the kick-ass Arrow Blu-ray uh-huh. that you're leaving when you leave tonight, right? Because <laughs> yeah. i got to watch uh-huh. these features, damn it. It has his first first movie on there. Yes, the mm-hmm. um, what's it called again? It's called. I wrote it down. Hold on. Slash of the knife. Yeah, it's got it's got basket case three and a half <laughs> on there. A little short they made. But does it have? Because I have the something weird DVD, mm-hmm. which still has a shit ton of features, and I noticed it has the one um, I, I got. Yeah, and I noticed on the Blu-ray it has the. Uh, where they take the tour of where the locations, mm-hmm. um, but uh, does it have that Beverly Bonner um, public access TV show mm-hmm. that, she, that she had? Is that on the Blu-ray? I don't think so. Oh, then it's not that cool of a Blu-ray. Whatever. <laughs> I don't remember it on the Something Weird DVD. Beverly Bon they ha- apparently Beverly Bonner had a uh, uh, a show on public uh, New York public access. Where it was a variety show, but and she starred in every single skit. It's awesome. I, I have it. I have it right here in front of me, and I can read what it's called. It's it's the the special feature is called clips from Beverly Bonner's comedy cable TV show, Beverly Bonner's Laugh Track. 
Yep. Yeah. I believe that's what it's that's what it, they say it's called. But there's tons and tons and tons of new features on this. No, new, new yeah, features it's, it's, on this disc. And I'm giving you crap, but it's yeah. I'm super jealous. The new of that commentary. Blu-ray. That's the one I listened to with him and Kevin. Now, cool. Yeah, because I don't later. think Kevin was on the original commentary. Yeah. And he remembers a lot of shit that Frank don't. Really? So yeah. Nice. And in both the commentaries for that and brain damage, he's like, he's like, guys, I, I, I always used to listen to commentary tracks and be like. Why the fuck don't you remember that? You're the fucking director. And he's like, shit, now it's 30 years later and I'm doing these commentary tracks and I don't remember fucking half of this shit. So he does his best, but no, he does good. He's really good on them. Awesome. Basket case. Yeah. Have we waxed Basket Case's car enough? Who would have known? Yeah. Yeah, like Tad said, go to Shutter and watch Joe Bob's. It's the perfect way to... Love it the first time. Yeah, it really is. Because, yeah, if it wasn't for Joe Bob, we none of us would probably even know about Basket Case. So, would have came and gone. Um. So yeah. yeah since you started us off chronologically, we'll just keep going in that direction. Um, uh, next one we're going to talk about is brain damage. It's funny. One night you go to bed. And when you wake up, everything is different. Now Brian's acting a little peculiar. He's like a completely different person. I don't even know him anymore. Something's gotten into him. Sometimes everything glows with a different kind of light. Deep into him. What are you telling me? That we killed someone last night? Something bad. Something slimy. What are you doing? Something very... I know something's happened to you. Very... How is that? Hungry. You can't keep killing people every time you're hungry. You're mine now, Brian. I own you. Gotta get out of here fast. Go where? You're a wreck, Brian. Leave me alone! Whenever you want to stop hurting, you come to me. It will turn you inside out. Brain damage is the uh, story of a guy named Brian who wakes up one day and he finds out that he's got a parasite attached to his neck. This uh, parasite uh, pretty much gives him like uh, injects him with like this uh, juice, this drug that gives him like these really awesome LSD psychotic uh, brain trips and to the point though where it's so uh he gets so addicted to it that you know he he, he the uh, the parasite named uh uh Aylmer, with an a uh takes him out and so elmer can feed on brains um elmer is voiced by oh Gosh, what's this guy's name? Uh, Zachary. Zachary. Yeah, Zachary. Yeah, who's got like this great, like this crooner type voice about it all the <laughs> way through, which is really awesome. And so, and basically, that is, you know, Elmer. He just wants to eat brains, and Brian. All he wants to do is just be in this euphoric, drug induced state anymore. And you know the. Um, the, the, the other conflict in the movie is at the very beginning, there's this old couple 
they realize that Aylmer is gone because they originally had him. And basically, they've been using him for the drugs, too. And so, throughout the movie, this older couple, they're trying to get Aylmer back for themselves. And it's just, this one was pretty wild. It's, this is probably the, oh, man, I, this one almost falls, gosh, I don't know if this is like the sleaziest one of the bunch, but yeah, this was kind of, <laughs> this got some wild stuff in it. It's probably the dirtiest one of the bunch. When he goes to that hotel to, <laughs> More than to try to get clean. Oh, like, yeah, that, oh, that hotel. Yeah. That hotel is Brutal. just gross. Yeah. It's gross. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not talking about like. <laughs> oh, this is yeah. naughty. I'm dirty, dirty, naughty. Gotcha. I'm talking about dirty, disgusting. Yeah. yeah, pretty gross. Thing is, though, that whole scene, though, I've never had to gone through any of this myself. But that's how I would imagine, like these really hard like withdrawals and stuff like that would be. Mm-hmm. You know, watching him go through yeah. that, it's like, oh my Jesus, you know. Well, I just got to say, I'm just going to say it right now. It's official. I'm putting the stamp on it. I, I brain damage is my favorite. Me too. That's nice. what I was going to say. Definitely. Nice. Oh I, man. Th- this is the first time viewing for me. Aw, that's awesome. And so maybe this one might, you know, maybe because it's fresh. But <clears throat> man, like the combination of several things in this one really did it for me. I feel like uh, when I'm watching this and you. Finally, you, you hear his voice, and I, I instantly mm-hmm. knew that voice. <laughs> yeah. It's like so comforting. Like you, when you first hear him laugh, it's like, oh, yeah. oh my god, I recognize that laugh right away. And like just hearing his voice throughout the movie, um, yeah. so damn cool because he's one of the coolest horror hosts of all time. Right. Coolest uh, horror host of all time, coolest guy of all time too. Yeah. Um, since this wasn't a SAG production, um, Zach and Zachary was a SAG card holder. So he wasn't credited, right? Um, yeah, so he had to do the movie uncredited as to not get in trouble with SAG, so But like I I didn't even have to like Google it. Like I I turn on the movie, I'm sitting there watching it, and like the first fucking sound that that thing made, I'm like, oh my god, I know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. Like I didn't look anything into this movie because I I um for some reason just one I just never seen this one and uh I wanted to go into it completely fresh, so man, cool. what what a dumb fun movie. Yeah, See, this, is, this is my first time seeing it. I had never seen this before. Wow. I'd heard, oh. I've heard other people talk about it, so I've been wanting to check this movie out. And then, was it a uh, last week, uh, a couple weeks ago? I saw that it was on Shutter. It's like, oh, sweet! And then, yeah, you got to ask me the podcast. Like, cool. Now I have even more of a reason to watch it now. This is <laughs> awesome. Heck yeah, man. Yeah, I kind of wish my first time would have <laughs> been completely fresh because I mean, I followed this through the pages of Fangoria leading up to the VHS release. Yeah. And and uh, not, I wouldn't say disappointed because we I instantly fell in love with this movie, but a little upset because by the time you know I'm seeing all these kick-ass gorgeous shit right. scenes the in the pages right of Fangoria, uh-huh. and by the time it came out on video, it was <laughs> edited to shit. It was cut. All the gore, good gore stuff that you saw in these magazines was cut out, and it was such a shame. But it didn't ruin the movie for me. I love this movie so much that, like, back in the day, in high school, me and my friends, um, the Gore Gang, I used to draw comics of the Gore Gang, and Elmer do. was a featured character, uh, was like a pet of one of the one of the character one of the uh, members of the Gore Gang in the comic strip. So, you got a twenty-four by thirty-six, like, or a forty-inch 
original poster, poster too. Like, That's not original. It's a VH. It, it was for the VHS release. Oh, still cool, but it's still cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's beat the I'd shit. Li- but I'd like it's it. Cool. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to hang it. <laughs> oh no, I, I love it. It's would. awesome. It's kind of faded. It's got yeah. some sun damage to it, and it's kind of it's pretty wrinkly. But I finally, after years of mistreating it, have it in a frame. But it's it's with uh, Brian's exploding. Reeb smiled a little bit right there. What's that? <laughs> Oh. He smiled. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, Brian's exploding head with uh, Elmer sitting on his shoulder. Yeah. I mean, come on. How fucking cool is it when he's on the subway and sees Dwayne across from him? Like, right. Yes. Oh, yeah. That they exist in the same world at the it's same time. Yeah. How fucking cool is that? Like, yeah, I, that? I love the fuck. I love the fact that Dwayne looked at him, then got up and walked away <laughs> because he saw somebody even weirder than he was. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. Yeah, I love it. What like how cool is like he has his own little you know universe film universe here. I was I was able to when I first watched it I was able to to watch the original uncut version from uh it was a synapse release and um I gotta say that I I I actually really love like that old the. I think the color scheme, like within the junkyard, and he sees these colors, even though it's oh, yeah. like very low budget. I just think it's like you said, it adds like a certain charm to it. Mm-hmm. The, the music in the junkyard scene, I absolutely loved. Um, and let's be honest, this, yeah. this, <laughs> this, um, uh, this movie's freaking hilarious for starters. The the yep. puppetry that is just him moving and dancing around sometimes is. It's hilarious. And I got to tell you, I was damn near rolling on the floor the first time I watched that bathtub scene when they're knocking on the door (laughs) and Elmer pops up and he's just starts, he just starts, you know, just screaming and just having a ball because he's he's so damn high in that bathtub. Yeah. He's like woohooing and splashing around. (laughs) Oh man. I'm taking some pretty kick-ass bass in my day, but not on that fucking level. <laughs> oh my god! Um, but yeah, this this movie is 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 great. It's uh, it's it wasn't the first Hen and Lauder movie that I ever saw, but uh, it's it's very very high up there. Uh, it's it's not my favorite. My uh, another one's my favorite, just for you know, it's it's for sentimental reasons because I saw it when I was eleven. But uh, yeah, brain damage. I I highly highly recommend this because it's like, like you said, you know, uh, seeing Dwayne, you know, come in there with with the basket and yeah, he just kind of he's just sitting there looking at him and he just shies away. And he just gets off at the next stop, and it's just, uh, um, I, I really don't have much to add. I mean, you guys have pretty much covered just why this is, you know, such a, you know, such a great film, and uh, you know, the the one liners like you fucking named him Elmer. And he's like <laughs> not Elmer, Elmer, Elmer. <laughs> I don't, the, the whole bit though, where uh, you know he's in he's in the real bad rundown hotel apartment. But and Elmer's in that uh, sink, and he's going through those withdrawals, and the way he's just taunting him. Yep. That was, that was nuts. That was like, that was creepy and vicious, and, and that was 
that was vicious and brutal right there. Like, oh, Brian, hey, I'll be right here for you. What's going on? Oh, oh you yet, up in front of me? Don't do that. <laughs> but funny at the same time. It's just yeah, so dark, know, like, and but, oh, like, you're man. laughing. And, and and that's all thanks to Zachary, like, his mm-hmm. performance in that. Oh. Oh, uh, yeah. I wish Zachary would have done more things outside of, you know, the horror host stuff, you know, be in more movies or do more voices for things. Because, man, untapped resources. Well, right on there. this Arrow Blu-ray, it shows there's a little short film on there, animated short film called Bygone Behemoth, and it features his final on-screen appearance. Aww. But as Zachary, too, which is pretty cute. Always, I've always been a huge Zachary fan. Long before I even knew who Zachary was, like with he's like the only TV movie horror host. And again, if you know me, I'm a big fan of TV movie horror hosts. He's the only TV movie horror host that had like a top ten Billboard charting song with his uh, novelty song "Dinner with Jack." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he performed it on American Bandstand, like. He ran it's, for president in 1960. Yeah, yeah, he ran for president. If you want to learn more about John Zachary, listen to my very first episode of Midnight Snacks, also on the Prescribed Films Podcast That's Network, right. <laughs> where I do a whole episode on John Zachary. So, um, <clears throat> but what I thought was really cool with the Zachary thing is they explained that they pre-recorded all his stuff. So before they shot the movie, they went and recorded all the stuff with Zachary. And then they're like, later... Uh, Frank calls him up. He's like, I'd noticed, I've, I've seen a couple different spellings of your name. I just want to make sure I get it right for the credits. Is it E or EY? And he's like, well, on my SAG card, it says EY. And he, Frank, it took that long. They'd already shot the movie. <laughs> Frank's oh, like, oh, shit. Well, you can't. Well, we're fucked. And so, but Zachary said, well, you do an impression of me. If anyone asks, just tell them that it's you. So it was his idea to not yeah. to not be credited. Yeah, it's so cool how cool yeah. Zachary was and supportive of it, and um, so much so when we get to the third film that we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, Frank's like, that's the best. That's all I could do is try to get him in my next film to kind of repay him, to you be know, able to, and to be able to give him, him a credit. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. but uh, uh, yeah. So you watch that Q and A on there? Yeah, yeah. Freaking Frank Henelotter does an amazing Zachary. He's got the laugh down and everything. It was a really good Zachary impression. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want to go back to the gore for a minute. It's got some... The gore Gabe in this Bartalos. is awesome. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gabe Portalis. the man. I, I love Gabe Portalis, and he knocked it out of the park with this movie. You know, considering the budget that they had and the fact that, like... Elmer's such a little animatronic character. I thought they did an ama- he did an amazing job. I love the look of Elmer, the sculpt of him, but the yeah. animatronics behind him and everything. Um, just ama- just for for the film that it is, it's amazing, amazing. Yeah. It's you know way better than a piece of styrofoam with mm-hmm. arms and eyes. They're <laughs> doing stop motion dance on the floor. Uh, but the gore scenes and like growing up in that era and dealing with every cool horror, horror movie that I read about in Fangoria magazine with all these amazing gore shots, and then I see the movie and they're not there. Um, as much as that pisses me off, and how much anti um, censorship that I am, and how much of a gore hound that I am, I kind of understand MPAA's stance on the scene <laughs> the with one. the girl <laughs> going down on him. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That one, because oh, that is that, that full was, on dick and mouth. 
Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no I, there's no rationalizing what Frank was going for with that imagery at all. But I, I'll tell you what, like in in all of his films from the stuff I've been watching, like the thing I love so much is that with all these fucked up gags that were like mm-hmm. what does that mean or why the fuck did you do that? Every single time he'll say I thought it'd be funny. So yeah. I did it. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck yeah. And that's why I love you. Because you're like, I don't. he didn't care if he made anyone laugh. He did it for himself. Yep. And that's what was awesome. And so same with that that scene, the blowjob scene. <laughs> and he's like, I don't fucking care. I just, I thought it was funny. So I wanted to do it. <laughs> and it is. Don't get me wrong. I oh, love yeah. the I, scene. I think I, it's I'm, hilarious. I was, like, I was like laughing in shock and horror all at the same time. But it was awesomely well done. I'm just saying, for once, I could kind of understand MPAA's stance. <laughs> it still it still pissed me off that it got cut out of the version I saw back in the day, because I think the scene is awesome. But I'm just saying, I think I understand a little bit better. But uh, oh, and when Gabe Bartelis is talking about when Elmer pulls out of the out of her mouth and he's got that big old chunk of brain <laughs> yeah there's there's like so much gabe stuff on this uh arrow disc there's like so much interview and he like goes through all the effects and you get to see elmer with the robot armatronic shit yeah. and all the he explains a lot of the gags and how he does it and when he's yeah and i've seen talking, so much gabe interview it's awesome like frank wanted elmer to have this big chunk of brain sticking out of his mouth as he whips back into brian's zipper <laughs> Which is just such a gross image, man. But Gabe could not get... There was no glue in the world that could get these real calf brains that they were using to stick to the little rubber Elmer. So he had to, with needle and thread, sew it onto the Elmer puppet. Sew the calf brains onto the Elmer puppet. I'm like, that is awesome. That's stuff like that that wishes I would have stuck in special effects. Yeah. The uh, basically the uh, the I don't know the magician towel gag that he does like pulling brain out of his out of his ear. Mm. When, when, he's, when he's having that uh, nightmare. Oh yeah, that's the other big cut scene. And, yep. and the blood is, and then eventually tears his ear off, and the blood gushes out. That's just crazy. It's but bloody. I, it's so much blood. But what what? And that's another one that got heavily cut too and it pisses me off for two reasons one it is so exaggerated how can anybody take that take that scene seriously yeah and be, and be grossed out and or offended by it why cut that out it's an over exaggeration of the gore and that that takes it out of reality and then two they the distributors cut it from the film <laughs> Yet that is the picture on the back of the VHS box when the distributors put the movie out on VHS. What the fuck? I think they did that with Basket Case 2, too. There was a shot of of the main main guy was in the makeup. They ended up not using it, but they used it on the box. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin's, yeah. What about the uh, the toilet victim? I mean, with the blood spraying, it almost looked like there was a sprinkler, <laughs> like inside, like literally, like rotating. It re- reminded me of like those old uh, tractor sprinklers with like the long tongs at the at the end. It's just like two of them, 
it just literally looked like it was like hooked up to one of those and like you know like swirling around inside like the 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 bathroom stall. I was just like, damn, that's, I kind of like that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> the other thing I loved about the in the making of of this one is uh, they. I guess talk to you, Mike. Like the, it was, it was like they got the cream dream. They basically uh, bought a building. Oh yeah. You know, and and all, like on the first floor was a camera rental place, and then the third floor was their offices, and on the fourth floor they built sets. And so, like almost all of this movie is built in sets, because they talk about how they had to with the the Elmer. Yeah, because the things have to be raised so the animatronics of the puppet can be seen, cannot be seen on camera. But just the everything takes place in this one building for the most part, and like to me, it always seemed like a a cream dream to be able to have that one spot where you can just come to work every day. They also talk about it's in such a shitty part of New York that every single day (laughs) they'd have to walk over used condoms and crack pipes. In the streets every single day, as but, Frank explained it during that Q and A, the sound of the sound of them walking the set was squish, crunch, squish, crunch. <laughs> God. <laughs> but I, uh, I, go ahead. Well, I will say um, my my favorite line of the movie yes. it is actually when uh, Almer is teasing. Brian, when he's trying to go cold turkey from that serum or whatever, and he says, "Let's go up to Thirty Third Street and get us some hookers." <laughs> that's my that's my favorite line of this whole damn movie. With with that little puppet saying that, it's just that's so damn funny. And I love the fact that we see uh, it's the first appearance of the killer crack pimp. Zorro in this movie, which we will see, which we will be talking about later in this episode. I was going to ask that if uh, what other what everyone else thought. You think he's supposed to be the same character in both movies? I I don't know, but I just like I like seeing like uh, he he uses pe- the same people a lot. Yeah, like he uses Beverly Bonner. You know, she's in all of his movies. Well, exactly. I don't think. I, she- I don't think he, she's in his later stuff, but back then she was in all of his movies. Yeah. Actually, this guy see this uh, the guy who plays Zorro uh, in this in Brain Damage. He seems like a little bit more of a nicer guy than what Zorro is in uh, the the other movie that we'll be talking about. Oh yeah. I love all the dilute the um, the delusion scenes, the drug induced you know stuff that Brian's seeing. You know, my fa- a couple of my favorites is when he when his meatballs turn into brains. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. And the the, the heavy breathing noise that they make, the you know, yeah, it's both disturbing and funny at the same time. Um, but I really like the ones where he's laying in bed. And he's just staring at his light fixture, and it turns into an eyeball. Yep. Or when he's staring at the the textured ceiling, and it turns into outer space, like stars and stuff. Because we've all done that, yep. right? We've yep. all had a night where we couldn't sleep, and we're just staring in the darkness of our ceiling, and 
and things start turning into other things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought like that was portrayed really well in, in this movie, but especially the light fixture turning into an eyeball. Yeah. Frank said his favorites was when they'd go inside the head and they'd squirt the blue juice in the brain. Those were always his favorite shots. Those are cool shots. Yeah, cool, yeah. Especially there at the end when he gets the overload yeah. and it cuts the inside of the brain and oh, the blue yeah. stuff spraying all over the place. I love Rick Hurst. I think he's freaking great. I wished... That's Brian, right? Could have done more work. Yeah. I mean, he does stuff, but... Soap opera actor. Yeah. But, but I thought he was freaking fantastic. Yeah, he was awesome. Very awesome. I like how um, it talks about on that Blu-ray 2 on how uh, he thought he looked... A l- Frank Hindelar thought he looked a little too pretty, so he made the makeup department put that cut on his lip. Yep. Yeah. That's the whole reason why the cut is there, just because Frank thought th- that thought the actor was too good looking. Yeah, there's one there's one guy uh about to ask just there's some interview of this kid, nervous kid's like got really excited to ask about the cut on his lip because he had thought that there was scenes cut out that we hadn't seen, you know, to explain this cut on the lip. And Frank's <laughs> like, Nah, he was just too pretty. <laughs> the kid was like, Oh all these years of coming up with stuff. And that's why. Okay. Which, again, you know, just goes to show, like, the brain, how, how Hendenlotter's brain works and attention to detail. Like, if you take these movies at pure face value of somebody who cannot appreciate them, who just watches the next Avengers movie and that's all they know, um, can't, will, will, will say that all these movies are poorly made and that they're flawed. But if you really if you really get into them and pay attention, you can just see that most of the shit that's going on in these in these Hendelander movies are on purpose. It's what Frank wanted, and he does have a detailed eye. To the point where he wants to put a cut on the lip of an actor. And it's maintained yep. through the whole film. Yep. It's not like there's any bad continuity with that cut or anything either. So it's pretty good. I on think shutter. maybe I, mean, I think maybe the cut just you know it kind of makes him a little bit more you know like you said he's too pity it makes him more relatable you know he's just and yeah. that's basically what he is he's just a common man yeah. you know it's just I guess if you you know you don't make him look like such a you know pretty boy movie star you know you can kind of maybe step into his shoes a little bit easier yeah this movie is so good, so awesome. I love. <laughs> I think the other thing I liked all the way through, I love the music all the way throughout this movie. That's my thing. I was going to say about all three of these movies. Uh, you know, especially when I was rewatching Frankenhooker, I really paid attention to the score of this last viewing, and it's all three of these movies. I just in love with the score. They're all they all are so different, mm-hmm. but I love the score in all these movies. Like, there's some movies that. Um, I've I've watched over and over and over again to the point where I mean I have a low tolerance when it comes to repetitive like repetitive music. I don't listen to top forty radio because um, I would hate every song that's played within the first hour because they just re- replay it within the hour. 
Uh, I hate listening to the same thing over and over and over again. So there's times where I get stuck on a movie and I watch it over and over and over again to the point where I cannot stand the score anymore. Dead Alive is a great example. I hate yeah, that score, man. It's not that good. I hate that score. The movie's great, but the score's horrible. But no matter how many times I've watched all three of these movies, um, I still always 100% love the score. And Basket Case, when I got the um, Something Weird DVD, there would be times I put it on at be- when I go to bed at night, and I'd you know wake up in the middle of the night too groggy to to get my ass up and actually turn the TV off, and I would sit there and be listening because on the menu screen, it just plays like 30 seconds of the same part of the soundtrack over and over and over and over and over again. And still, after you know many nights of having that tapped into my subconscious, I still actually still love that score a lot as well. So there's just something about, about these scores that... Uh, I just can't get enough of. I love them. So. I uh, didn't want to say these movies were score was done by Gus Russo. Oh, he did uh, these two. Oh, that makes sense. Cuz mm-hmm. like I think wasn't brain damage part of the uh Glickenstein, um, <laughs> I think or Glockenhaus, what the, I don't remember. Um picture oh, deals like yep. I think three picture deal. Glickenhaus. Glickenhaus. Glickenhaus three picture deal. Um, yeah, I think it was because if I remember right, he tell Frank tells the story on how he went into pitch brain damage, and James Glickenhaus is like, "Awesome, we're gonna do it." But what else you got? And he didn't come prepared to pitch anything else. Yep. So he literally pitched Frankenhooker. He the improved the pitch for Frankenhooker off the top of his head. Um, wow. to, to James Glickenhaus, and that's how Frankenhooker got made. <laughs> and when he left, he turned to his like uh, his uh, partner and said, uh, "We have to make this Frankenhooker movie." Do you remember what I said in there? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing I want to say about brain damage, and then we can move on. Um, uh, I, I talked about before the Foley work on, on Basket Case. I love the Foley work so much in this. I love the sound of Elmer when he's, like, crawling around and shit. And it, it's the actor... The actor Rick came to came to set one day and had, like, an upset stomach or whatever. But his yep. stomach kept gurgling. And Frank's like, what is it? What, yeah, Frank's like, what's that noise? And Rick's like, I'm sorry, it's my stomach. It keeps gurgling. And he's like, that's it. That's the noise of Elmer. So those those noises <laughs> throughout the movie is 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 fully of James's stomach gurgling. Okay, so okay, so we can move on. Uh, last film, Frankenhooker. was horrified by the motion picture of Frankenstein. In 1935, horror turned to terror with the bride of Frankenstein. In 1990, the makers of Basket Case and Brain Damage bring you... Want a date? Frankenhooker. Jeffrey Franken has a plan. I just want to bring him back. He has the ingenuity. I need female body parts. He has everything he needs, except the raw materials. Hold still. Excellent. Oh my god. Bunyan! 
Jeffrey's creation is alive. Looking for some action? Oh, yeah. She's sexy. Want a date? You going out? I'm on my way home, but uh, thanks anyway. I, uh... And she's sutured to please. Listen, I'm looking for a very tall, attractive woman. She's purple. She's got fresh bars on her. She's in the bar. Now, a motion picture like no other. Ah! A tender story of love and romance. Want a date? A gripping tale of lust and revenge. Ah! Incredible. Some assembly may be required. It's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. A uh, this medical student, his his fiance gets brutally murdered by a lawnmower, and he has to wants to piece her back together. So he uses a bunch of prostitutes and um, creates a Frankenhooker. That's pretty much the story. Am I missing anything? <laughs> well, um, that's pretty much about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I mean, that is, I mean, he has a laboratory set up in his mom's garage and he has, you know, he has dinner with her severed head and limbs before he goes out and, you know, <laughs> finds said hookers, but in order to uh, get what what makes this the, the hilarious part about this is that he's going to you know create a, the uh, recreate his girlfriend with uh, hooker parts, but in order to do that, he has to blow them up with some super crack that he has made <laughs> in his in his uh, well his mom's garage. And yeah, the uh, this this is quite uh, this is quite the movie. I mean, his name is Jeffrey Franken, which you know Frankenstein, and his uh, girlfriend, played by Patty Mullen, her name her her name is Elizabeth Shelley, which is obviously a play on Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Um. This this is my favorite uh, Helen Lauder movie uh, because I actually watched this back when I was like eleven and <laughs> we uh, yeah yeah because this we weren't supposed to we stayed up late because the first thing we the first thing that we watched uh, was with my buddy Wynn and uh, the first thing we watched was uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven The New Blood and. Yeah. We stayed, and this was this was our double feature. So we watched Friday the Thirteenth, The New Blood, and Frankenhooker in like the same night. And this is like, I'm just like, man, this is this is this is great. And Win's just like, hey, you know, it's fine, you know. So like, you know, Win went on to become this, you know, this wrestler jock, and you know, ended up dating this blonde and has a kid. And well, uh, well, I became me, you know. So this movie probably <laughs> probably corrupted me a little. Um, I I will say this, you know, it's just like. Oh, I didn't, you know, care about girls, you know, but, oh, you know, uh, I guess, you know, boobies are cool, you know, even if they're purple in this case. Um, but uh, how how could you not, even if you dislike these kind of movies, how could you not stop and watch something where a guy has got a bunch of crack that makes 
ogres explode. <laughs> and then he goes and sews them back together with his ex-girlfriend's head on. Uh, what more do you want? I mean, how could how could you not how could you not, you know, watch the car crash happen? Even if you hate this movie, you would actually have to sit just to see what happens. I mean, but I guys guys what did you think? I mean, I'll add a little bit more, but I was just like that that was that was my story. That was my introduction to Frank Henwater. It was a it was a double feature with Friday the 13th part 7, which I think is a pretty damn good night. That's a pretty good start know, to your good. horror. Especially for an 11-year-old. <laughs> could could you imagine if you watch that with Friday the 13th part 5? Ooh. Oh yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> uh, a lot a lot of boobies in that too. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, also, uh, I noticed that uh, the the scene that we see uh, Beverly Bonner in, where she's talking about uh, what whatever that acronym she used for hooker was, uh, holding on to uh, <laughs> our knowledge for equal rights. I think. Yeah. Was, yeah. Was, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Basically, that's a that's a. If you guys didn't notice, uh, you remember the Morton Downey Jr. show? Yep. That's yep. basically <laughs> what they're making fun of. That's that's what they're parroting. Um, and if you ever get a chance, uh, watch the documentary Evocateur, which is basically about that Morton Downey Jr. show. I think you guys would really like that if you're into that thing. And um, the oh my god, the one-liners in this movie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh man it's like line over everything is quotable uh lots of luck with you and them exploding bitches uh, pretzels good um ooh, honey look at miss thing um uh this is one of my bitches arms this ain't your arm uh uh where's my johnson uh a salad that was once named elizabeth <laughs> uh, uh, shit, go. I mean, uh, there's plenty to talk about. I'll, I'll shut up. See, I, I this one was amusing because this one really felt like an all-out like USA up all night type movie yeah. more than anything else. So that's what the, I mean, just because it was so, I suppose, comedically over the top. You know, whereas like the, the other two ha- actually had a fairly certain sense of I hate to say seriousness to them, but they they slightly did. Whereas no. this one, there was nothing serious at all about this movie. This was just like comedy all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that the uh, you know the body parts were actually really pretty cool, except for the heads. The heads didn't look that great, but man, everything else looked great. I thought um, watching them. You know, watching the hookers explode was hilarious every time it happened. <laughs> um, especially the guinea pig. I, I lost him when that guinea pig blew up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was the 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 uh, the doc. The uh, it was a Jeffrey, the main guy. His voice it was like such a doctor voice too. You know, just the way he talked and everything, just like such a weird doctor voice. I just kind of. That just cracked me up too. Um, yeah, for the most part, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun, but it was one of those things where I was like, I would, 
because I, I, I watched because uh, this, this was my this is actually my first time seeing it too. You know, I was oh, like, wow. I had watched, you know, yeah, yeah, I had never seen it before. It's kind of, hell, I had a copy of it at the video store. Unfortunately, it sold before I could watch it. But you know, was, <laughs> but you know, I finally to get me. to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and I was like, I pre, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it, but I don't think I appreciated it as much as Basket Case and Brain Damage. You know, it was. Yeah, I th- right. and I think just maybe just because maybe just because too surface like, level, maybe. Yeah, too comedy, you know, and everything like that. It was like, I I, I like what they did. It was fun and everything like that. But because I also watched, uh, I watched Basket Case last night, and then I watched uh, Frank Hooker right after it, and they're both so tonally different. Just oh yeah, Matt is just totally opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, whereas I, you know, you 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 get the whole, you can get the horror feel about a out of Basket Case. But you don't get a horror feel out of Frankenhooker at all. It's just it's just fun, goofy movie, which I can appreciate. You know, I, I think I kind of wish I kind of waited a day or two before I watched it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't have quite the same grime to it. It feels uh, much more lighthearted in in a weird way to say that lighthearted when you're you know blowing up hookers with cocaine. <laughs> but it feels like uh I don't know, like more of a and and maybe it's also I think for me, uh the tonal difference also has to do with f- definitely when it was made, you know, it feels like much like a di- it represents a different time period too. So and it looks it looks like he had a much higher budget for this movie. And I think that was one of the things too. It's like it looked, it just looked like a lot more brighter, more expensive movie. Hmm, I don't see how much it was. I think they said that for uh, brain damage, it was six hundred thousand. Hmm. hmm. Well, you know, I mean, oh, go ahead. I just love the fact that a doctor can tack weld a hand onto a body. And the music that they listen to when like the girls are starting to party with all that crack. I mean, it's like, there's like a, it's like a, it's there, there's like a small beat in the background. And then this, like the lyrics to it is like safe sex is for wimps. Anyone can drive sober. Always carry a gun. Never say no. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's this is not to be. I mean, if anybody you know, was to like make a bitch and moan and say like this is like na- uh, like you know it's like poli- you know if anybody takes this seriously, they're an idiot. I mean, come on, it's. Uh, oh, and uh, <laughs> did did anybody? Um, I, I finally put this together after, you know, because I've seen these movies so far apart. Like, towards the end, I saw, like, uh, when when the hooker parts, you know, like, kind of fused together in the serum after, like, the freezer got shocked by lightning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I saw that, like, when they're, when they're all coming out and they're all fused together and I'm just like... This really, really reminds me of society. Yeah. That, I mean, that's where my brain went. I don't know about you guys, but... Shows the budget was $2.5 million. That's definitely a substantially bigger budget. And it grossed 200000 
Oh. <laughs> Still worth every penny. But yeah, right. but it's, it's one of those that probably did more of it, though, on uh, video and cable than anything else. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. I See, get, what, yeah. what's hilarious about this movie, though, is like, yeah, it's, it's called Frankenhooker. There's probably more nudity in this movie than any of the others. Mm. But it seemed the least, it was like the other two seemed way more sleazy than this one. That's a good point. This one did not yeah. seem sleazy at all, <laughs> which, yeah. Yeah, for me, what, what carries this movie is James Lawrence's performance. I mean, he's just great. I mean, yeah. he's clearly your central character, and he does an awesome job. But Patty Mullen, too, she's freaking awesome. <laughs> oh. And and the fact that they made, like, a talking VHS of this, that you would press <laughs> it and it'd say, want a date? I'm just like, oh, my God, just take my money. I would go... <laughs> I don't care. I want it. If there's like a hole in my roof, uh, that, fuck it. It can wait. I want this talking VHS. <laughs> I mean, that, and there was like some part like where he goes into like this monologue to, when he's talking to his mom and he's just like, I don't even know. I can't even, you know, tell the difference between what's real and what isn't anymore. And he's talking about how all he's depressed is mom. All his mom offers as a condolence <laughs> is a sandwich. Can I make you a sandwich? <laughs> Look, what the hell? Thanks mom. Yeah. And only one, one thing she asks if he just doesn't stay up too late. Good job, mom. Huh? Good job, mom. Yeah. What'd you think, Mike? Frankenhooker, you'd love it. I do. Here's the thing with Frankenhooker, though. I didn't appreciate it the first time I watched it. I took it was one of those that took a couple viewings for me to really uh, realize how awesome it was. Because here's the thing for me, and being a horror fan of the '80s, I was all about the special effects and the gore. And there's no gore in this movie. And the special effects are are you know they're not they don't look realistic they don't look very good. It wasn't until like a long time later that I learned that that was intentional. Frank like when all the uh, hookers blow up from the super crack, he did not want it to look all realistic and gory. He wanted it to look like mannequins exploding. It was all intentional for that whole cartoony element of the of the whole film. Um, and kudos to Frank and his relationship with Gabe, and kudos to Gabe for putting his own name out there with a with a movie full of effects that look purposely cheesy. Mm-hmm. You know that. That takes a lot of guts on Gabe Bartelos's part to uh, put work out there that purposely would look like that, and, you know, because that could jeopardize future jobs. You know, it's like, oh, you did the effects for Frankenhooker, you know. But some stuff was cool, like the the brain with the eyeball in the jar is always mm-hmm. really f- cool and fun, and it's definitely a lot of influence. Uh, you can always tell Frank Henenlotter in general is influenced by certain movies and the brain that wouldn't die is obviously a big influence on frankenhooker um <clears throat> you know like the brain with the jar and the eyeball um and then How like great. You, yeah. getting into basket case two and three 
there is a character in one of the mutants in Basket Case 2 and 3 looks I- almost identical to the mutant in the closet in The Brain That Wouldn't Die. So you could tell that's obviously was a big film for Frank Henenlotter. And I'm assuming you guys probably already talked about Zachary's appearance in this, and this is the... Not really. So Zachary has a small... What? I'm sorry. I said nope. Oh. Zachary has a small part in this where he plays the TV weatherman and the TV in the background. And that was, you know, like we mentioned before, Frank's opportunity to... Because I think, believe this one was a SAG film. must have been or something. Because... No reason why he put Zachary in there. And he put Zachary in there as a TV weatherman, as Zachary. Like, doing the Zachary thing, just the Zachary, doing the laugh and all that stuff. Um, then that way Zachary could get his film credit that he didn't get from Brain Damage. So, But yeah, no, I love Frankenhooker. Patty um, Mullen, she's awesome. I think her performance, you know... I've said it a billion times, I'm going to say it again. The actors I'm the most impressed with are the actors that could do physical stuff. And her physical work as the as the character Frankenhooker, like, you know, those facial twitches that she does and um, in the movie, I, I just think it's an, it's an amazing um, physical performance that she does in those scenes. And her whole look with the purple hair and the, um, you know, the, the huge Frankenstein-esque shoes uh, are, you know, is like such, is almost iconic. Like if this movie... Oh, yeah. If this movie <laughs> like could have been a- taken a little bit more serious by the masses, Frankenhooker is, would have like such an iconic look to her. It should be action figures. You know, it is oh, used God, for yes. Halloween costumes for sure. Nika, listen up. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I would buy one, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And uh, talking about how, like, the exploding hooker effects look bad, I think Gabe makes up for it in the Frankenhooker look herself because if you look closely at, like, where the stitches are, it looks like body parts stitched together. Like one hand is white with a with a uh, tanned forearm, and you could see the separation between the hand and the and the forearm and the stitches. That looks like it's yep. the only thing holding the the hand to the forearm is the stitches. So, yeah, the Frankenhooker look in general. Is, oh, and, is and just another awesome. reason why I like Patty Mullen so much is that she really has embraced it. Like, she's still out today at some convention, putting on the purple wig, putting on the makeup, still playing this character, and just, and all the way in on it, and it's just freaking awesome. Awesome to see that. And, I would be remorse if I also didn't mention, um, the lead of the film, uh, James uh, Lorenz. Yeah. I love him. Another another type of actor that I really love are are actors with a bizarre out there screen presence. And yeah, he's a weirdo. <laughs> and and he's like that in every performance. Like it sucks because most of the stuff I've I've seen him is a small parts. Like he's in Street Trash. Yeah. He has a little tiny part in RoboCop Three. Yeah. Um, King and Kings of New York, he's in that. Uh, the Jerky Boys, 
um, movie. Uh, and but I also remember him from some TV, some TV shows. He was on an episode of Titus. He was on an episode of Becker. Um, and yeah, every performance is almost identical <laughs> to uh, to what he's doing here. I mean, there's there's still I mean there's still some differences in the actual performance. Don't get me wrong, but uh, just his mannerisms and his his accent and his just vocal yep speech vocal pattern. style yep. speech pattern. Jer- thank you, Jersey boy. He's Jersey boy. Jersey boy. And I just wonder if like Hen and Lauder let him riff a lot of a lot of some of his like hmm. moments when he's like mumbling lines and stuff or whatever. I think it just I don't know. Just a lot of it seems improv-y but hilarious at the same time. So I love the fact that he drove home with all those hooker body parts sticking out of his trunk. <laughs> <laughs> just, I think that's brilliant. That's just so damn funny. I mean, this movie is, it's, it's, it's more than just um, a, the Frankenstein story told, but with a hooker. I look at it more as like, this is the working man's, the working Jersey man's Frankenstein story. Like, the Dr. Frankenstein in this. I mean, because he's not using, like, surgical instruments and stuff, too. He's, like, using power drills and hammers and stuff to do his, like... Medical experiments, so... I can't deal with it, though, when he starts drilling into his own head. Like, lobotomy stuff is like nightmare that. fuel for me. Well, that yeah, and shock therapy. Those two things, I can't... Fo- oh, oh, oh. So when I see him start drilling in his head, I oh, I about personally want to throw up. I can't... It's going to give me nightmares tonight, but... Even though it's over-the-toply comical oh, and unrealistic? Still. still. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I get power tools. I, he's drilling. He's got a drill, a giant drill. Uh, a drill bit that would go all the way right through, through his it. skull. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come in out no, the other side. It's also funny. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but you know what? The, the scene, uh, the, the one scene, though, where they had that close up where you see that drill bit coming out of his neck, that was cool. That was really cool. This. Um, I think what, what what everybody's overlooking is that this is actually a love story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's <laughs> talking about, you know, oh, hookers, you know, exploding crack heads. But it's actually a, a, in in a weird roundabout way. It's it's truly at, at at its core, it's a love story, which makes it even more bizarre in my in my estimation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So good. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. I feel like I have a lot more to say. Oh, I remember. I used to have a poster for Frankenhooker as well. I think I might still have it. It says buried somewhere in a poster tube somewhere in the house. Um, Mine's hanging on the wall. And on the... Nice. On the poster... Oh, it says it on the front of the uh, Blu-ray too. Oh, the quote. Yes. Have you guys talked about that? No. Okay. If you only see one movie this year, it should be Frankenhooker. Quote from Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. Now on the on the box it says Bill Murray parentheses Ghostbusters Caddyshack Zombieland. On the poster it just said Bill Murray, and for years I'm 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 like staring at this <laughs> quote on this poster in my wall in my bedroom, thinking, is there another Bill Murray? <laughs> <laughs> like like Bill Murray saw this movie and and 
made that quote? How? And so, and it wasn't until years later, thanks to this Blu-ray, uh, Frank talks about it on the commentary track about how when they were editing Frank and Hooker, it was at the same studio where they were editing some Bill Murray movie or whatever, and Bill Murray happened to be there. Was Pat was walking down the hall, passing by where they were editing something. It kind of caught his interest, and he peeked his head in. And Frank's like, "You you want to see what we're doing?" And showed him a little bit. Bill Murray says this thing, and <laughs> Frank's like, "That's going on the poster." <laughs> <laughs> So Bill Murray didn't even see the whole movie. <laughs> you know, it's guys like us. We would. Oh, I do the takes, exact same thing. Right? Hell yeah! But you know, that's pretty much what uh, uh, Frank did with uh, Basket Case as well. Because uh, was it after the uh, premiere of Sundance? Not Sundance. Uh, Cans. Because uh, uh, you know, because Joe Bob was talking about that. Him and Rex Reed had seen the movie, and uh, Frank happened to ask. Uh, uh, Rex Reed, what he thought about Basket Case. He's like, this movie is sick. So that's what he put on every poster. Yeah. <laughs> on the on the back of my DVD, since you guys are big Joe Bob fans, Joe Bob gives it four stars, and he calls it the best of 1990. Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. <coughs> so good. Well, those are the three main movies we went over as far as Frank Lauder. But he did continue to make a few more, and it's really got me itching to watch Bad Biology. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I need to see it as well. <coughs> Even though Mike, since the beginning of his first viewing of it, hasn't been super glowing about it, so it hasn't been super encouraging, but... Well... Like a punishment type. <laughs> um, it's a film that grows on you a little bit. <coughs> I think it's it's kind of the same thing with uh, with my first impression of Frankenhooker. It wasn't what I expected. <clears throat> and but now that you know what it is, yeah, yeah, I accepted it a little okay. bit more. It doesn't have the charm of the other uh, Frankenwater films. I feel. Excuse me. It feels a bit. Uh, it feels a lot meaner than all of his other films. Um, it's pretty sick and twisted, which you know still makes sense with Hen and Lauder, but uh, it just feels a lot meaner about it. This was produced by. The film was written and produced by uh, this New York rapper called um, the Rugged Man, and so I feel like it's more the Rugged Man's voice in the film than it is Henlotter's. Because <clears throat> there's just things in this movie I feel like is only there for pure shock value. Um, so because basically it's this couple, these two people that have um, abnormal abnormalities um, with their sexual organs. Um, the female... Uh, female star of the film has, uh, I think it's six clitorises, and so um, she's just always about sex and having sex with strangers and all the time and stuff, and gets so into the heat of the moment that she um, kills several of her lovers in the 
in the heat of passion. Um, <clears throat> and uh, every time she has sex with somebody, she's instantly pregnant and goes into labor within an hour after having sex and gives birth to these mutant babies that she then throws away in the trash. Jesus. Weird. Yeah. So it's pretty and 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 it happens several times throughout the movie, but it never serves any purpose in the story about these mutant trash babies. Like I'm waiting, like maybe at the end the trash babies unite and seek revenge or trash some shit, babies. you know. But like, this next movie. no, it's just it's just a, a shocking thing to have in this movie that mm. she gives birth to babies and throws them in the trash. So Let's blame it on Rugged Maine. So yeah, I mean, I kind of feel Still like writer. maybe it is. Yeah. Not that I'm not familiar with this Rugged Man rapper, but um, I mean, Adam. Uh, on that something weird basket case Blu-ray, when they are giving, when they're doing the tour of the locations, and there's this guy that Frank Hanelotter's hanging out with during the video. You know who I'm talking? You remember what I'm talking about? I think you said Adam. Did I say Adam? I meant Andy. Sorry. I'm I'm sorry. Repeat the questions. <laughs> on the something weird basket case Blu-ray or DVD. Okay. Um, on that special feature where he is going around looking at the old locations, mm-hmm. and there's this guy with him, you, this like big burly guy in a leather jacket or whatever. Does that ring a bell at all? It's it's been a while uh, since I've seen it. I'd have to, I'd have to look through it again, but I believe they're in. I think it might be in search of the Hotel Broslin. Yeah. Well, okay. that guy so that, that guy that's. What's that? Isn't it Michael Gingold? Or is that the new stuff? That's in the new stuff. Okay. Yeah, that's totally the new stuff. Okay. That guy that Frank Henelotter's hanging out with in that video, that's the rugged man. So when you go back okay. and watch it, now you'll have a kind of make a, at least a, a physical idea of who, who I'm talking about when it comes to the rugged man. So, yeah. So, um, it's my... I, I still appreciate it for for the Frank Henelotter of it, but... Uh, Especially in the third act, because um, the guy, the guy with the uh, def- sexual deformity, has a monster penis that he can't, that has a mind of its own. And so when it when it breaks away from the guy in the third act and goes on a rampage, <laughs> that's that's when the movie I think kind of kicks ass. But uh, but it's definitely. It's definitely on the bottom of of Frank's filmography for me, you know. But it's still Frank, and I still love it. And you know, I got I I remember getting to see Basket Case two on the big screen. I got to see oh. that when I lived in oh, Pittsburgh. Wow. Yeah, for Hall, there's a movie theater that we used to go to all the time, uh, almost every weekend to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. They did a an all night movie marathon. And it started with Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight, and then they showed Basket Case 2, and then finished the night with um, Toxic Avenger 2. So, it was pretty cool getting to see Basket Case 2 on the big screen. That's cool. Yeah. And... Leading up to this episode, there's a couple movies that he's made that I haven't seen yet that I didn't even know exi- knew existed. 
There's one called Chasing Bank Banksy, Banksy, which is which is not a genre film at all. It's it's more of a straight up comedy, I guess, or dramatic comedy or whatever. <clears throat> and then a documentary he did called Boiled Angels, um, which actually sounds really really cool. And he's done a couple other documentaries um, for the Something Weird label. He did a documentary about Herschel Gordon Lewis called Godfather of Gore, which is awesome. And then he did one um, about uh, the drive-in um, sexploitation movies and the nudie cuties and the roughies and all those called That's Sexploitation, which is okay. It just feels really padded with a lot of nonsense, but uh, you know it's still fun. And Frank is in it, so that's always cool. Yeah. You get some cool interviews in there with like David Freeman and stuff like that. So, <clears throat> so that's Frank Henenlotter. Yay. I like that dude. Me too. I want to meet him. Oh, God, me too. Me After this too. last week or so, definitely gained quite a great new appreciation of the, of the guy. And that's awesome. Yeah. I'm a fan. Now it makes this my favorite episode of the show. <laughs> you had influence on me. Yay. For the positive. <laughs> Instead of what the fuck do you make me watch? Anything anybody else has to say about Frank before we uh, move on? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, uh, let's take a break, and it'll be segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. So stay tuned for more. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back. I almost forgot to uh, lead us back into the show there for a Whoa, second. Whoa, that was close. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, are we, what are we waiting for? Hey, guys. Uh, so it's segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. We're going to start, as we always do, with Jason going over a little bit of shout-outs. It's time for... Shout-outs! 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 Hey, everybody's favorite segment. All right, just ask what uh, what's your favorite Hand and Lauder film. And we got some good answers here. We got... Up first on Facebook, we got Derek Patello says, Basket Case. Hard to argue. Yep. Uh, Kyle Grubb says, Basket Case, Brain Damage, and Frankenhooker. What a great trilogy, Kyle. That's as if he knew knew. the itinerary for this episode. (laughs) Maybe he checked out our Patreon where we give our uh, watch lists ahead of time so you can see what episodes before anyone else. And you don't even have to sign up to see that. You just got to go over there and look. It's just trying to entice you to go over to the Patreon page. But yep. Up next, we got Nick Leadham. He says, loved Basket Case 2. I saw it as an adult, and when it came to the reveal at the end, I thought, holy shit, 
I thought I dreamt this. <laughs> Apparently, I saw Basket Case 2 as a young child and completely forgot about it. That's always fun yeah. when that happens. I mean, none of us are lucky enough to see it when we were 11. No. <laughs> like some people do. Dan Patrick says Frankenhooker. Woo! Heck yeah. Yeah. Horn a date! <laughs> I used to have one of those talking boxes, too. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Suck. Yeah. <laughs> used to, he said. Used to. Did I, we sell it at the store? I can't remember if we That'll, sold it or I might even still have it. it. Even if I do have it, the, the one a date doesn't work anymore. So. I was say, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you didn't get it to me. That's, 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 right. that's all that matters. Still pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> He's had it and touched it and owned it and you did it. <laughs> Up next, we got Ken Meehan. <laughs> oh, you got plenty of shit that we wish we could. Touch and make say things. <laughs> Show's getting uh, moving weird. on. So Ken Meehan yeah. says Frankenhooker and, and Basket Case are my favorites, but Bad Biology is a gem that doesn't get enough love among Hen and Lauder fans in my book. Nice. I think the other maybe the other problem I have with uh, Bad Biology, and again and just in general, generally speaking, is that I mean the whole movie is just based around nothing but sex. And that is different than any of these other movies. How? Than any of these other movies? Oh. Well. But based around. I mean, it's. It's. Yeah. That, that is. There is no deeper storyline or plot than, than the fact that it's just about. Well, then these is that two what, people dealing with their sex. Is that sexual what makes issues. his sexploitation films better than most? Because he has real story and real other things going on and, like. If the movie's just literally about sex, like how deep could it be? Or yeah, is I it don't just know. Uh, now you talking just, me back out of wanting to watch it? Which is it, Mike? It's just for me. It's not. It's not like something that entertains that entertains gotcha. me. There's still plenty of good about the film, but yeah, <clears throat> need to see it. It's Jeremy Zink says, Frankenhooker is possibly his greatest creation he's given life to. <laughs> but it's hard to pick a favorite from the mind that spawned those demented yet lovable twins, Dwayne and Belial, in Basket Case. And I'll admit that brain damage has really been growing on me lately as well. Because it's yeah. the best one. Because it's the best. That's right. Mm. See, it's just—it's uh, <laughs> just so. It's—it just—it's uh, just so. As a fan, it's just kind of you know—it's aggravating, you know. Like he just doesn't have a much a bigger filmography, you know. Oh, and if it wasn't for that Glickenhouse deal, he would even had less. Or maybe it was because of the Glickenhouse deal that he stopped. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But like, you know. The, half of his filmography was made within two or three years of each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. Over in our Facebook group, that's right, Facebook group, go over and join. Uh, we got Tim Lennerer from the Fiasco Brothers Make a Movie. He says, Brain Damage tries to pull off some things that its budget can't quite accommodate, but it's absolutely my favorite hen and lauder. So much grimy New York City weirdness and a completely understandable reason that the poor sap of a center of the center of the story would fall under the sway of the monster. 
Having said that, the scene in Basket Case where Belial trashes the hotel room is like watching someone else's nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and the, maybe that's part of it too. Like, there's there's almost like a nightmare quality to to Basket Case. Again, I feel because of its limitations, you know that that it doesn't feel completely real. That this is almost like a bad dream. We got Brian McNail says Frankenhooker. Ow, says Andy. Mm-hmm. Jacob McLaughlin says Brain Damage is a wonderfully weird movie, and I knew nothing about it going in. I had a ton of fun with it. We didn't have any Yeah. We didn't have anything on Twitter, but on Instagram. Our pal Don and Nelly says, only film I've seen is Basket Case One. Can you believe that? So then I went on to give him a lot of shit about not <laughs> having seen any other, so I know he's gonna watch a lot more and is planning on it. And then we also have Fog of Death eighty one, who's JP from the new late night psychorama. Woo! Podcast on the PFPN. He says, Basket case for sure, but brain damage isn't far off. Can't can't argue. Those are uh, all the shout-outs we have um, from our social media sites, but you can still, there's still a little time left. You can um, always call in, leave us a voicemail anytime about anything you want to talk about. Um, you can call us at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP, and that's shout-outs. I also just realized I said there's time to call in, but if you're listening to this, there isn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I meant maybe for the next one. Anyway. What if I call in? You just stop it. You, I'm <laughs> glad you stopped commenting on the shout-outs <laughs> and decided to be part of the show. Instead of afterwards. Who's calling? <laughs> hey. <laughs> Did you have more to say before we move on to everybody's favorite segment? I kind of do. Oh, I forgot shit. one thing. Damn it. We're one so thing. close. Back to brain damage oh, okay. and this amazing Blu-ray. Hell yeah. Um, did, you, video. did you watch the feature, Tasty yep. Memories of Brain Damage Obses- Obsession? Interview with superfan Adam How Skinner. great was that? It was cool, but... I have a question for you. What? Do you remember the name of his band that he yeah. talks about? Oh, fuck, I did. The Statutory Apes. That's right. So <laughs> I'm digging through my CD collection of of um, CDs that you gave me of bands that you've collected over the years. I knew that fucking name sounded familiar. Yeah, the right here in my hand. The Statutory Ape. Um, Demo Cost, I guess. I don't know if that's the same. But I, I was going to ask you if it's the same. I thought it was plural. Apes. Yeah, maybe it was apes still. But crazy coincidence. I have yet to listen to this after watching that to see if maybe it was the same. But I've been meaning to ask you about it first. And if you even remember where you got this. I'll think about it. Because this guy is obviously New York, right? Right. From the uh, Blu-ray. That's a cool yeah. feature, though, too, because it's some fan that's just like just got super obsessed with it, like John Sullivan and Children of the Corn. Yeah. Where he just like <laughs> really started collecting fucking everything, and they even made their own collectibles. His girlfriend does, and he even got to meet Frank about it. And well, and with his band, the Statutory Apes, um, they recorded an album where it 
Each song was the, the title, chapter uh, title, chapter title off of the Blu-ray. Yeah. And he liked it so much, he he's like, "Well, we'll include it, but you have to put some of your music in there too." On the yeah. on the Blu-ray, and so they got a couple little videos, and it's pretty cool. So that's two instances where it seems like it pays to get super obsessed about a film. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, that's shout-outs. All right, now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Insane's Picks. Oh, man. I worked hard on this one. Uh, so, if you ever thought about changing your species... What? You might want to consider something other than alligator. Oh. But that doesn't stop those crazy, silly scientists in the 1959 film, The Alligator People. So there's, you know, plot, there's like this woman is in this hypnotic state as she kind of recalls to these two doctors the details of this horrific experience from her past life that begins with the mysterious and sudden disappearance of her husband. Which turns out, her husband has been used in these experiments that turns him into the alligator pe per person. People, people person. Purple. This is one of the great 50s B-movie monster flicks. Uh, the costume's cool looking, even though it, there's no, you know, the big alligator snout on the front of the uh, half-man, half-alligator. It doesn't open or move at all and throughout the film. Um, it's also great because it's got an amazing Lon Chaney Jr. performance as the guy in the bayou. He's obviously drunk during every scene that he's in. <laughs> um, you got Beverly Garland as the uh, as the wa the wife of the guy who gets turned into the alligator person, and she's awesome. She's done a ton of amazing, great um, you know B movies from that from that time period. Um, this movie was developed for 20th Century Fox as a co-feature with the sequel to the original Fly called Return of the Fly. Uh, the Alligator People was produced by Jack Leewood for Associated Producers on a budget of only $300,000. <clears> and uh, one of my favorite quotes um, doing research on this film is Beverly Garland's uh, would often say that the, the hardest thing uh, in that movie was simply to trying to keep a straight face. <laughs> so, it is a riot. It is a very fun movie. I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, you know, cool-looking alligator costume, even though it's cheesier than shit. But, uh, um, you know, if you could find it, check it out. 1959's Alligator People. And I believe Beverly Garland, um, in, um, in her contract, instead of getting paid cash, she got she got paid with a new person boots. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my pick, Alligator People. Woo! At least you're excited about it. 
What? It's awesome. Okay. Just that last sentence. You're like, that's my pick. Alligator people. Oh. You're tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a long episode. Yeah. Go Frank. But a great one. Heck yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I hope everybody Absolutely. learned a lot and can help help maybe get some people to watch a little bit more. Yeah, and it's a bummer that he is, you know, got such a small filmography and for the longest time was out of the filmmaking scene. And it kind of just feels like over the past few years he just kind of started slowly getting back into it. And, um, you know, a couple of those films there I just can't even find. Um, I've seen trailers to prove that they exist and that's about it. Uh, but... What else is cool is that obviously Henan Lauder's love and passion for the for the exploitation films and the drive-in films are very obvious in the work that he's done yeah. and that how he has continued that by being kind of a curator for these type of films, a film historian, if you will, for nudie cuties and um, uh, sexploitation films, exploitation films. Z-grade drive-in cinema, and how he's kind of become the new face of something weird video. Um, after after uh, Mike passed away a few years back, it kind of feels like Frank has kind of taken up the reins, per se. And he's been quite involved, and ever since something weird partnered with him and put out that basket case DVD, kind of feels like uh, that's where... Um, um, Frank found his home, I guess you could say, is with something weird video. So that's really cool, mm-hmm. and that he he's still he's still doing things, but in a different a different capacity than than making films. And I can appreciate the a guy restoring films that no one gives a fuck about, not even the <laughs> filmmakers. So, yeah. so Frank, we love you, and we also love all of you out there who listen to the show. Sure we do. appreciate you tuning in uh, don't forget to visit our patreon and get even more crazy cool killer podcast content uh, but until next time we will uh see you on the next episode of attack of the killer podcast oh no could this be the end of <laughs> attack of the killer podcast attack